Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. All right, it is Thursday, so um, that means the Mensa brothers join me, and they do. Uh, joining me for the uh, second time this week from San Clemente, California, Jeff Kenny. How you doing? Why are you sweating? Because I was uh, loading boxes into my van to put in, to move this crap. All right, so, so uh, almost done though. Almost done. I may actually not stroke out or murder my wife. So if I can avoid those two pitfalls, I'll be good. I think I will. Well, congratulations on all of that. So Although she may murder me, in which case my <laughs> problems are over. Yeah, but you have you resolved whether you'll be cremated or interred someplace? Or I could give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be stuffed, like you know, and um, you know, you guys can come visit me and shit. <laughs> so El Cid. Yeah, El Cid. Well, that's good. Uh, joining us from McAllen, Texas, is uh, Tim Lynch. Tim, how you doing? Doing fine. Thank you, Matt. And give us a weather update on McAllen, Texas. Well, unfortunately, rainy, which is putting a damper on the Trump rally, which is where I would be if I were not talking with you at the moment. But wow. uh, it seems like the rain is going to hold off. I don't know how big of a crowd is going to be here for the border visit with uh, former President Trump and the current governor. But we'll see. The I was interested to see. I did not know this, that McAllen is the epicenter of this uh, border crisis. Yay. It, 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 it is. It, it is the epicenter. There is a, there, all the crowding is, is horrible, but you got to keep in mind, this is a Hispanic part of the country. This shit don't impact us. It gets, it gets detained in the border. They, they got a few overflowing homes, but they're busting and flying these people yeah. out 24-7. They don't stay here. They're not they're not welcomed here. And everybody here knows who they are because everybody speaks Spanish. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Right. I saw that. I saw that I was interested uh, because the vice president went well west of McAllen and, and her right. Chris, and I said, Oh McAllen, Tim lives there. I, I didn't know that that was the epicenter of all of but, this. So But no impact to the citizens of the city. You if you were sick, you would have no idea this was happening if if you just went around your your business here during the day. Those people are contained and effectively moved out of here very quickly. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, Will Cosentini joins us. Will is traveling, though. Will, where are you and why are you there and what are you doing? I am on my way to Dallas to visit one of my daughters for the uh, holiday. Ah, what a good dad, huh? Yeah. You know. So you are you on your way? Where are you? So where are you? Well, it depends. <laughs> it's not. It's not really a trick question. Oh, you mean at the time we record this, or the time that we broadcast it? Right. Well, at the time we broadcast it, let's see. Burr, burr, burr. I will be somewhere in Oklahoma, heading south on I thirty-five. Oklahoma, and where currently you're in? Currently, I remain. Uh, at an undisclosed location somewhere <laughs> in the suburbs of Kansas City, Got where it. it's been raining for seemingly months, except for the one week when it was 100 degrees here. Wow, you got that going for you. Well, yeah, right. it's Midwest. There you go. There you go. Uh, Tim, we didn't ask you about the weather. You said it's raining down there. Oh, oh it's overcast, rainy, about uh, 
in the low 80s. It's quite pleasant. It's it's been a rainy summer here. My my uh, my sunflowers. I've got 12, 14 footers out there now, and they haven't even bloomed yet. Wow! I got like like Jack the Beanstalk action going in my backyard. Yeah, it's kind of cool. But that's just because of the rain. I think that's the first Jack and the Beanstalk reference ever here on Almarine in, in five plus years. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, 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 and you don't want to roll that one out for another five, quite frankly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a well, bit Well, no, dated. when it's appropriate, it's appropriate. All right. Oh, I, it looks good. I hope yeah. we don't have to t- wait another five years for it. Um <laughs> Because it's a, it was a little bit of a, I don't know, I got a chuckle out of it. Jeffrey, the weather in your neck of the woods where you're sweating profusely would be what? It's, uh, as usual, it's warm. It's about, you know, 68, 70 degrees. Um, um, overcast. It'll probably burn off later on today. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's unseasonably warm for the coast here, you know. Um, you said it's 68 degrees, though. Yeah, it's only 10 o'clock. It's getting hotter. Let, let me, I can check it. The, the high today is going to be like 74. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's a little little muggy because there's rain in the air, but it hasn't rained yet. Got it, got it, got it. All right. All right. Um, let's talk about Afghanistan. It's 66 degrees right now. All right, there you have There's your current weather updates from uh, all parts of the Mensa Empire. So um, being the brilliant men that you are, um, Afghanistan in the news. Uh, Ashraf Ghani and Abdullah Abdullah both here in the United States, seeing the president, uh, the president doing his best to offer, you know, offer. I don't even know what he offered. Offered uh, condolences. Offered a safe passage out. Um, I'm not really sure what the president offered him. Um, so I'm curious about your thoughts. Um, there's even articles being written that Taliban commanders have told their forces to slow down because uh you know at least in northern afghanistan uh, things um are are moving faster than anticipated in a world of straight up pessimism so um jeff uh your thoughts i mean you're on record as predicting that afghanistan will be afghanistan which will be the taliban controlling the vast majority of, of if not all of the of the countryside and and powerful warlords will control the major cities, which is Afghan's history. So, um, are you still sticking to that, or give yeah. us some, give us some thoughts? And and are you surprised that this thing is collapsing faster than people thought it would? No, I think uh, the deals have been made. You know, there's some some of the uh, military commanders will stay. You know, and uh, become warlords themselves. Most of them will run away. Will run away, um, go to India or Dubai. They've hoarded a lot of money that they plundered from their own, from the, us, and from their own people. And uh, you know, that's what will happen. The uh, the as far as the Taliban up there in the in the north, um, I think even the Taliban is different now. The Taliban is like, you know, two parts. Uh, you know, guerrilla army, one part drug selling enterprise, you know, drug smuggling, not even smuggling, just importing and exporting. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, like I said, it's pretty much the deals have been made. Those cities will hang on probably as long as the salaries keep getting paid for the Afghan security forces. Once we stop doing that, then they'll fold, then they'll, they'll be a pell-mell 
you know, running away. Like, for instance, in the after the uh, the Afghan Soviet war, they hang they hung on for a couple of years until Soviet Union collapsed and the money for the for the uh, security forces dried up. A lot of those guys, like uh, there's the movie uh, Twelve Strong, Dostum. He never was a resistance guy against either the Russians or, you know, the government. He was a government guy. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a ruthless uh, military commander and actually a little bit, you know, probably more effective than most. But uh, so, you know, I think that's what will happen. It'll they'll, uh, it'll it'll collapse into uh, chaos. So well, it's chaos, but controlled because by the like I said, for a while, the cities will be. Right. By, held by the government and the uh, okay. So let me ask you this: you, you and and then we'll get Tim's thoughts, and then we'll. Um, you said the deals have been made. Can you explain yeah. that to, pe- to people? I think the uh, like the commanders of the of the uh, what we used to call the regional command areas. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what the Afghans are calling. They probably they they probably have. Uh, and they just call it by the name of the place since it's their country. But uh, I think they've either come to agreements with the with the dominant, um, you know, guerrilla forces in their area, either Taliban or HIG or dope dealer, you know, dope smuggler or ISIS. Or all, and, uh, or all of them, right? It, yeah. And so they're all, uh, you know, th- that's already been done. And there will be double crossings. There will be murders and castrations hangings and stuff like that but uh, if, it, if the past is any uh, prologue to it that's what you what has happened that's what happened in the 90s and um, that war lasted about nine years with the Russians probably about four years before that a strife and then uh, there was awful I mean the 90s were awful for Afghanistan even in a place where awful is the norm it was uh, it was horrific um, particularly the fight for Kabul in the, in the late 90s before and that's what allowed the Taliban to come in and just walk in so we were there for 20 years and uh, it's almost uh, I think that uh, you know the um, it's normalized that uh, the, the drug trade is is what it is there and everything and uh, it's just a mess okay you know, so the, so, the so when you talk about it. the deal that's been made it's it's essentially between Military people and their uh, their Taliban counterpart. Yeah, there is a guy in charge, a young guy, late thirties, who was assassinated a couple of years ago. But he was a Resnick, huh? Resnick, yeah, Razik. and he uh, he was dominant. Now his ostensible title was he was a border force commander. You know, he's a border police commander. But uh, in reality, he just murdered his way to get there, and uh, he was a huge drug importer. He was effective against certain, you know, uh, portions of the Taliban. He was very charismatic, and he got whacked. So, and he was I also financed by the in, CIA. Say again. He was a CIA asset. I mean, that, that, he got powerful because there were special forces teams attached right. to him. No, he was very effective. I said at the time when he was assassinated that they can't replace him. This was a tragedy. That goes far beyond uh, just the loss of one guy. Okay, yeah. uh, Raznik was was they, 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 you lost a whole you lost all Kandahar when you lost him. All right, right. Timmy, your thoughts on the speed of this collapse, and mm-hmm. th- does that surprise you? 
I, I have said all along that the Taliban's not strong enough to, to, to take the Afghan army and the Afghan army is not strong enough to take a Taliban. I'm revising my position. I'm, I'm looking right now at the FDD's Long War Journal uh, uh, published by a guy named Bill Rogio, who I actually uh, uh, took on a visit to Afghanistan. I know him back in 2007, I think. At any rate, with those 30 districts, you've now got the government-controlled area to around Kabul and a narrow corridor that goes up and out on Balkh province near Mazar Sharif and the Panjshir Valley. Outside of that, you've got very few areas of government controls. Now, Jeff just mentioned Haig and Hekmadir came in from the cold and, and reconciled with the government, but his militia is still his militia and they, they control around Jalalabad and they're battling ISIS. And so it's in, in the past, the only military stuff we've been doing is helping them against ISIS. It's it's the strangest goddamn thing in the world. We've been actually helping the Taliban with our drones and stuff. But I, I do believe the Taliban can, if they want, overwhelm the country rapidly. And I didn't I've never thought that before. But I'm looking at this now and I'm thinking to myself, there's no fight left in those boys for exactly what Jeff just said. They've got investments to tend to tend and families down in Dubai. I'll bet you know at the senior level. Well, and that's what they're going to be thinking about. Okay, so and the soldiers know this, yay! Right? This is the system that they that they live in. And do you see the Afghan army willing to die, knowing that their superiors have already lined their pockets and are already have cut a deal, and the only thing left is either you know join the Taliban or leave the country. They've yeah. already done that, though. Right. They're yeah. already not fighting the Taliban in every place that matters. When um, you said, so, right? Yeah, they, they've said, already reached agreement. The soldiers even the, know even this. The troops, the, because we advised them for so long. There's an army of uh, of Taji men, of interpreters. So the interpreters are privy to conversations with brigade commanders, with uh, with corps commanders. You know, besides, and but they're just kids. You know, and when they're not. Taji man, and when they're not translating, they're rubbing elbows with the uh, with the Askars. So they're getting uh, they're getting in- intel now, you know, unofficial intel, third shitter from the left stuff that they never got before. You know, um, they never got with the Soviet war. They never got with the uh, you know in, in the in between because we talk and we, and we talk frankly to them. I did, you know, I really relied heavily on those guys, and they would go and uh, and talk to you know, the, the private soldiers and stuff too. And uh, so they know everything and they, and they always think the worst because you should, we always think the worst because we're Marines. They always think the worst because they're in the crappiest place on earth. And you know, that's the way it is, you know? So no surprise at how fast this is going. Um, I'm surprised. You are surprised. I'm surprised. Yeah. I didn't think it would happen this quickly. It's, it's, uh, it's alarming as hell. All right. Um, Will, alarming, surprising to you? So you said it's collapsing faster than people anticipated. Whoever did not anticipate rapid collapse is an idiot. Okay. <laughs> We're now talking about <laughs> the senior military well, lead, leader two, in Afghanistan because that's his quote. Item two, we should we should review the last 10 minutes of this radio show. And then we should ask the question, who gives a shit? You guys can rattle off place names and people that no one on earth cares about. 
because it's one of the least strategic places on earth. The only thing that made it strategic is bin Laden set up the camps. We solved that problem pretty quickly, a couple of months. And here we are. Where is the least strategic place on earth in Afghanistan? Yeah. I mean, the South Pole, maybe? I don't even know. You can't name a place in Africa that's you less. You might go win that one. Yeah. That's <laughs> less strategic than South the Pole War. <laughs> Every other place on earth has got something that's usable and valuable somewhere. Now, this place borders on a bunch of strategic places, but who cares? It's bizarre. And, and again, roll the tape. Tim said it or Jeff said it. You've been there 20 years. How can we be so stupid? How okay, we're, not, so we're stupid? not talking about that stupidity right now. We're just talking about the, <laughs> the, the rate of collapse. No, yeah. the rate of collapse. Um, and, 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 and so there's a very thin crust. And once that crust starts to collapse, the whole thing is going to disappear in a moment. Uh, I think that that the idea that you couldn't and you couldn't think, you know, that this was going to collapse if the great international coalition or the great Washington consensus, which has been correct about almost nothing in our Mm -hmm. lifetimes and people listen to that, it's bizarro. Yeah. You know, this is. Will Will said it, man. We should. We, we succeeded in 2001, 2002, and then we stayed, oh, that's not good enough. We got to stay here till we really fuck things up. And, you know, okay, okay, we're not, we're not going to yeah, beat that fucking mule dead again. We're, uh, I, but again, the collapse, and you know what's, what's interesting is um, my first experience in Iraq in 2004, I had a pretty good seat for that, right? Um, so I'd, I'd get to sit in these meetings, and... Um, and it was really interesting. Then I come to find out, as you, you know, I we had friends that, that were, Paul Kennedy was the battalion commander. Right across the river, he owned Ramadi. And so, you know, we'd be talking and you, you learn how the system works, right? So the new the new police chief in Ramadi, okay, let me give you Mensa's. Let's see if you can earn your, your title. Um, so we appoint Abdullah Abdullah Kenny to become the new police chief of Ramadi. Who is his first phone call to? Jeff? Oh, his first phone call, let's see, to uh, probably to, uh, um, was it, he was still alive. Uh, you know that prick, uh, Zarqawi. <laughs> okay. Nice. Tim? Zarqawi. Him? Yeah, well, the sheik there, yeah. The, uh, his sheik, whoever his sheik is. All right, yeah. Will? The last police chief. All right, okay, so you can see the pattern in all of this. All right. <laughs> He's not going to go out there and give a, a speech about truth, justice, and the Iraqi way, okay? He's going to call, and he's going to he's gonna call the sheikh, right, Zarqawi, whoever, right, the guy running the show is, and they're going to say, hey, look, I, I need to talk to the other guy. Look, I know you got to do what you got to do, but the Americans are paying me. I'm making money, so let's make a deal. You tell me what you're doing, kind of, sort of. I'll keep my guys away. You know, we'll, we can all learn the, 
coexist and profit off this, right? Right. Because it's a profit. Remember the governor of Anbar when you were there, that big fat guy? Yeah, he got kidnapped one day. Yeah, I mean, they must have kidnapped him. They must have had a backhoe to haul him out of the uh, – because he was uh, – <laughs> I, I met that guy a couple times. Yeah, he was uh, – he's another player, but he, you're right. He's, you know – the well, no, I mean, And so you're – it's such a foreign – I mean, it's not – certainly in the way Americans – and certainly we don't think like that, right? You know, we're going to go there and we're going to do the right thing. We're going to fight. And all sudden – this is a bit, and when you understand, and Jeff is, and, and Tim have both said this relative to Afghanistan, when you understand that this is a commercial enterprise, okay, and the Americans are just a laying pay, the latest paying customer, the collapse makes all the sense of the world, as Jeff said. The deals are cut. The only deal that hasn't been cut are guys who are arguing about what percentage they want. And maybe yeah. they, they'll go to war, and maybe they'll burn it down, and they'll decide that b- with by shooting each other and murder. Exactly. Yeah, Timmy brought up an interesting thing about Hekmatyar, right? Hekmatyar, I think, finally cracked the code. He said, why the fuck would I want to be running one of these big cities when I can just get taxed? I can I can tax these people and, to let them drive around my area, and I'm not going to administer this thing. I'll let the government keep that headache with the – keeping the water on, the power and shit like that. Because when they did take over cities, when the Taliban did, it was horrible. I mean, even the – that's really what – That's what pissed know, the people the, off, right? That, that yeah, They said, hey, the yeah. guys can't do it – they can't do anything right. Right. Other, why would you – I mean, why would you want to grab control. the country, I mean, the cities and inherit all that shit? What's the – they don't. They can't get squeeze any more corrupt money out of it, you know. So well, that would, that would make that would make um, sense in terms of, as you said, the um, the Taliban would control it. They would leave the administration to somebody else, and there's you know they'd control the opium yeah. enterprise, right? Yeah. Allow them to administer the cities and that would be the power sharing arrangement. And again, for all we know, that deal's already cut. Yeah. No, Mac, I, I talked about this a couple of years ago. Down in the Hellman, all the line, all the all the line ministries from Kabul, their lines of communication into the districts remain. The Kabul still pays for the schools, the livestock, veterinarians, and that kind of stuff. The Taliban just controls it. So that that model has been in effect for years Yeah, where they do not interfere with the line ministries as long as the line ministries don't interfere with them, which means that any fighting you see are over deals gone bad, not over the principle of this is my country and I'm defending it. No, that's not how it's working anymore. If you're fighting, it's because somebody fucked up. And that's, that's just It's kind of like a chamber of commerce disagreement. Yeah. And rather than when, go to when, an arbiter. When Roger, when Roger Turner was in charge of the task force there in 2017-18, he retook Marja. He retook because he had the, they, the way the deal worked was the people who had that, uh, who owned those areas, ostensibly Taliban, were going to be moved out by the drug dealers who work for the government. So the ANA would do the plan to attack. It was executed usually by either ANP hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. or ANA is Afghan National Army. Afghan National Army. And they had the planners and shit. And they did it just the way we taught them. Either McPP or MCMD, you know, P, that shit. And the and it would be good. And they would go in and these but the but the government police people would would actually attack physically. 
And when they did, the Taliban would concentrate. When they concentrated, Roger Turner would bomb the fucking shit out of them. And we, he took almost all of uh, the eastern part of Helmand. They, they wanted to make what they call a cummerbund around uh, around uh, uh, um, Alaska Gar. You know, Lashkar guy, you know, and uh, and he was well, you know, we know he's a great guy anyway, yeah, but, it, you know, time. that was how it went. And Lashkar Gah is the provincial capital. For is the capital, yeah. right. It, yeah, so. it shows, though, you know what we're good at? Identifying a uniformed military in the field and their capital and destroying that. We're actually pretty good at that. Did that in the Civil War. Did that in World War II. We were on the way to doing it in World War I. Uh, what we're not good at is this. We lose interest in it. We're not criminally mindful. We don't get taught that in any military schools. And like it or not, when you're dealing in counterinsurgency, you got to be a mafioso. We're just not very good at it. And uh, how many more times we're going to go through this? It's hard to say. Um, uh, but, you know, our leaders in Washington uh, have not showed a lot of common sense uh, in attacking many problems at all over time. Yeah, and so we get bogged down in this ridiculousness. Um, and, and uh, you know, I got no skin in Afghanistan personally, so maybe that sort of taints how I look at it. Um, but I say, I, I, I just remember when, you know, 3-5 and Sangin, and I'm thinking, what in the hell are those guys doing? Yeah. They got, what are they yeah, doing? Oh, And then oh, particularly, yeah. I think they were headed up. There was a dam or there was some shit up there. Oh, the dam's blah, 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 Jackie. Blah. So yeah. they were going Jack. up there, and then, and then we gave the thing back. And I'm like, this thing rhymes. Did hey, I have a question? Oh, I have a current. Did was there any power that ever came out of the Kajaki Dam? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was uh, yes. half, about half capacity. Who's that engineer guy? That the, he's still there. He's been there for like thirty years. Yeah, he's been there for a long. No one ever kills him. Engineer. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but here's the thing. You know, you just you just mentioned uh, a Sangina Musaquala. When I first went into the helmet in 2005, it was completely peaceful. All their checkpoints were manned by guys that looked to me to be Taliban. They didn't have a uniform or whatnot. But the governor Atkanzada yeah. had complete control. Yeah, complete control of the whole of the whole uh, province. But unfortunately, the Brits decided they wanted to take over the province, and Akinzada was a major trafficker. As a matter of fact, the DEA found like two tons of opium in his in his governor's mansion. And he goes, yeah, I was going to turn it into you guys. What the hell? What, what, what's the problem here, right? So they get rid of him, and he goes back to Sangin and Musaquala, and all his 4,000 soldiers instantly become Taliban. Those are the guys you were fighting. What's the last name of the leader of the Taliban now in Afghanistan? Akunzada, same yeah. friggin' family. He owned the helm, and, and if you just left him in place because you were a like a criminal, like like yeah. a mafioso, like Wilson, well, yeah, you would have never had been there. Remember the police chief. Remember the a police chief in in, in Moose, Timmy right. Sokola. He caught Akunzada. One of the Akunzadas was laying IEDs out there. He caught the guy, and he had he had a they had a citywide assembly. He painted the guy's face with black dye. Mm -hmm. 
And the guy had to go to Pakistan for like eight years <laughs> to get until the shit. And now he's a senator, or he was when I was there in 2017. That Akhanzada is a senator, uh, part of the Afghan government. Yeah. It's incredibly yeah, so weird. Yeah, All right, so, so here's the next, here's the, so here's the next question. Family. Here's Same the next question. in the government and, and controlling the Taliban. That's Afghanistan. That's an Afghan family there. All right, so do you expect the rate of collapse to increase and this thing to collapse quicker than anybody expects? Because uh, I think it was the, the report early this week or late last week uh, was that Unnamed sources say they believe that the the that Afghanistan will collapse in as little as three months. Do you think it'll take that long? I don't know if they'll it, bother to collapse it. I mean, I, you know, what I'm saying, I just uh, what's the I, point? I'm I'm with Jeff. What happens if it collapses? The money spigot gets turned off. Right now, we've got a money spigot turned on. I I don't I see them kind of easing up and making accommodations. Um, and then warring amongst themselves. They're pretty good at that. Always find a reason to go. That's like Will says, too. Who cares? You know, it's like, I yeah. care because. Well, this is lot. just out of curiosity because it's a current event. And we're going to see it play out on the right in the news. Yeah. Right. No, and, and then and no, then. No, yeah. we're not. What do you mean? No, we're not. Once the U.S. is out of there, it ain't going to be in the news. Oh, I bet you it is. Terrorist I bet you it is. I bet you it is because, William. I hate to school you on this. I know you live in like. You know, Hickstown. But when all <laughs> and all these women lose their rights, who cares? The world cares. Oh, yeah, no, well, they don't have any rights. The not. world cares. They don't have any. They don't have any you're rights. Gonna, hey, you're going to see there because we care about stuff we care about. The Afghans could give a shit. No, 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 no. I'm not talking. I'm talking about why we will see it. We will see the collapse of 20 years worth of American investment or whatever. And then the world will see the Taliban roll this thing back as they will, and then you will see that will. Yeah, but what, but. what part of the press is going to make the Biden administration look bad? No, yeah. no, no, no. Just like defunding the police was a Republican idea, right? <laughs> this will be a Republican-sponsored event from the Bush administration to the Trump administration, and then you will own it. So there you go. But well, I don't think, I don't your think anyone's going to own it until here's my prediction well into the future. If there's ever another Republican administration and if some horrific international terrorist incident can somehow be traced back to Afghanistan. Right. right. So let's say it's 2031 and a nuclear bomb goes off in Paris that they trace back to Afghanistan. Then everyone's going to say. Oh, why did we ever get out of Afghanistan? But until then, there's a lot more. Listen, there's Olympic athletes that are turning their back on the flag. Um, okay, so, the, so when, know, this, imminent- when this gets in the news, you're going to come back and apologize to, to me, to every, all, of our, I will all of our listeners. When Jeff, you Tim. finally apologize for making the prediction that Joe Biden will never be president of the United States. Did I say and that? That's uh, you absolutely did. I know I said it. And it's well, I mean, uh, well. video. Is he? Is he even the president now? <laughs> well, let me tell you. Hey, but, but who can, env- who can envision a worldwide plague? All right. Who can envision that? That's like biblical in nature. You would read it in the Bible in the Old Testament and go, this could never happen, right? The economy's going gangbusters, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, 
right? A famine, right? Grasshoppers and leeches all descend on the on the world. Come on, you got to do better than that. I know you got to do better than that. So, but we got we got one thing about Afghanistan to be concerned about. That is, they've closed Bagram, closed it entirely. So now they've got that little half of an airfield that's tucked into Kabul Kabul International Airport. Yeah, that's fun. Down there on the on the the eastern side. So it's surrounded by the Pashtun communities, unfortunately. From that airhead, they're hold flying on, people on. back and explain, forth. To, to the explain the word unfortunately. Oh, well, you know, you've got Kabul. Kabul's got a multi-ethnic ethnic, uh, city. Like most third world multi-ethnic cities, the ethnics tend to be in their own, own part of the city, not right. intermingled. Right. And the part of the city where the airport is, is the Pashtun part of the city. The Pashtuns being generally the the, the folks uh, uh, most mostly participated in the, in the Taliban. Although up north now you've got Tajiks and Uzbeks and everybody's yeah. joining now. That's what I mean when I say because everybody wants to be on the winning side. Yeah. Unfortunately, they just want to be there for the parade. That's exactly right. But now you've got a helicopter ride, so they're going for the mile mile it takes to get from the embassy to the airport. They're doing it by contractor helicopters. Yeah. Good luck on that. Yeah, Good you, luck on that. How deal. safe is that? They are now, my friend, officially guests. And that means when the guests do something the Afghan people don't like, they're going to be non-guests. And that's going to be ugly as shit. Think of Herat and what they did to the Soviets. That was pretty yeah. brutal. That's medieval level, level right in there. They tore, I mean, there was a lot of Soviets they tore up, too, and their families. Everybody yeah. sooner or later in Afghanistan realizes that the juice ain't worth the squeeze. But Alexander, Genghis Khan, the Brits, the Persians, they're like, fuck this. So how long are we going to... Empire. It's just that it makes the empires go, what the hell are we doing here? How long are we going to play charades with our embassy? Oh, that embassy is huge. Uh, embassy's got embassy's to stay there. It's where the money pipeline goes through. Right? You yeah, got the embassy, the you've got the UN compound. I don't know how many other embassies are left. Yeah, but I mean, once, uh, once once the troops are out of there, how big does the embassy need to be? Yeah, you're right. And, and, and the embassy's right next to the main road going through the damn town. I mean, it's a lot of civilian traffic. Again, it goes right, outside how, big, how big does it need? What is our diplomatic interest there? You're right. Yeah. Now, I think it's going to be manned by 12 Trump appointees, something like that. <laughs> no, it is a huge compound, though. That then you've got a problem. How you? What are you going to do with all that empty space? That's not secure. Walk yet. away. It's like the basic school learning the defense. You know, FPLs, <laughs> fucking tactical wire, and all that. Shit. So all how long? Do, so how long? If we can't, okay. So now we're doing an OPT, and uh, Jeff, you be General Milley. Um, well, oh, you great. You, you, Even I got to <laughs> gain weight in order to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could be the commandant and Tim, you'll be the CNO. Okay. Who, who am I leaving out? There's somebody. Oh, there's an air force guy. I'll be the air force guy. Cause I go to talk to him all the time. Um, all right, boys, we're in here to talk about the operation frequent wind tack <laughs> tack two. Um, the evacuation of uh, Kabul. Uh, what do you got? For, what <laughs> What do you got for me, boys? Well, I think we got to keep we got to nurture our relationship with Kyrgyzstan 
and use that as a jump off point because there's no South China Sea there like there was for the original frequent wind for us to hang out in. So, you know, that's uh, Kyrgyzstan's where Manus is. That was an, a regular, you know, um, Manas. Yeah, a regular place to, you know, to deploy from and to getting in and out of Afghanistan. I saw. So, um, I don't know what our, how we're doing with the. I don't think the Iranians would help us very much. Probably the Chinese really wouldn't. Um, so I think it would be one of the uh, former Soviet republics to the north that, uh, you know, especially okay. Biden. Right, he's like, right. So we'll stay. So we'll, we'll got, you know, connections with all those guys. We'll stage their general expertise there. And stuff we'll stage there. their general Milley. Then what? Then what do we do? Yeah, we're gonna. We don't gonna, have Bagram um, anymore. Where do we fly into Kabul International? Well, we have to make sure that the M- yeah, absolutely. If uh, we're gonna do it, you're talking about executing a neo. Well, I'm. That so means we own if we're gonna play this charade, I mean, it, it's. I mean, why again? Why are we playing charades once you know? Once we have the vast. Can I, can I be the Secretary of State? No, because you'll be a shitty one. I know. I know. No, no, he was a singer. What he's you, have to sing a, you have to sing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a rock and roll star. The Secretary of State is going to say we should stay there longer than we should. Everyone knows we shouldn't be there. So let's just stay longer. And then we, we can regret how bad it went in the end. I mean, what are we doing? If you really want to get him out, then we just have to pay to get him out. Yeah. Right. Because well, again, the, the the finding is just cosmetic kind of nonsense as we settle things on the margin. Um, you know, the business is the business, and if we want, if we really want them out, if we're really going to keep them there, and we really want them out, then we really just have to pay the money, and we'll get them out. I don't know, man. The Afghans can riot like nobody you've ever seen. That shit's scary. It, it happens. Well, fast. we'll just have to pay more then, and yeah. then, and let me tell you. When they cool one of those riots out, they'll cool with enough money in somebody's pocket. They'll cool that shit the fuck out. Normally, they do it with ball ammunition. Exactly. We're not going to talk about anything you might see in Times Square or anywhere, in any place that you might. You wouldn't get no, it they, confused. They, in, in, in 2006 in Kabul, some goddamn army convoy was coming out of the north, coming out of that hill lost their brakes, caused an auto accident with multiple fatalities. And right. then as the Afghans start gathering around in a crowd, which is what they do, you know, by the thousands, they get freaked out and start hammering away at the crowd with a 50 cal. And it's live on Tolo television. And I'm like, oh, I was watching this stuff because we had to get our Japanese clients to safety. Boy, that riot, that, that riot was out of control, bro. That's the, and that, that shit's scary, man, because it's very hard to get them back under control. So there's no reason for us to be there once we lose Bagram. And I, I, for the life of me, like, I, what do you do? You don't, I mean. Dude, that little, that little base on the other side of Kabul International, that, that, they can't hold more than a few hundred folk. No. Yeah. They got that, that um, headquarters, the uh, Resolute Support Headquarters, which borders the embassy compound, is like the Warsaw Ghetto. It is like uh, densely popular, or at least it used to be. Densely populated with multinational headquarters people. Yeah, That's right. the they're, but they're, but they're all gone now. And there's no yeah, like, yeah, they got a teeny little air, little LZ in there. It's a one forty sevens worth of an LZ, you know. Yeah, that's uh, right. and that's what the embassy uses. Yeah, oh, I, that's a, that's the embassy LZ. I want to talk about uh, 
uh, I, I emailed a uh, an article about uh, that uh, a woman who is a uh, she's former instructor at like the Chinese Communist Party's School of Theology. Um, she's a longtime you know instructor there. Her name is Kai Jia. G is X-I, so Jia, Kai Jia. Anyway, she's written a piece uh, that the Hoover Institute is going to publish today. And uh, kind of a little teaser uh, written about in the Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, You guys have all read it. Uh, Will, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I think her point is, is that our soft diplomatic power uh, has no influence in China. Um, and, you know, she's a, obviously a very educated, highly thought of person. And it only took her, what, 30 years to come around to that idea. I mean, no shit. Um, you know, we, we, we have abandoned uh, the middle of the country. We hollowed it out under this idea that, if China gets richer, then they're going to get more like us. And it's a ridiculous idea. Um, and it's cost us dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't necessarily see it on the coast. Um, but you get out of, you get out of the, the Washington, D.C., New York City, uh, California coast, et cetera, and into the middle of the country. And it's done unbelievable damage uh, to the country. Um, And it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. uh, But it's still the Washington consensus. You know, Uh, you would say, well, the Trump administration didn't believe that. No, I disagree. The president didn't believe that. Yeah. But the Trump administration which is still career bureaucrats and a whole lot of political appointees that, you know, what's Trumpism? Don't know. So he couldn't hire a bunch of people like him. Uh, They still believe it. And uh, not saying that you should completely disengage, uh, but if we think that we're going to win them over with soft power, um, you know, it's a crazy, stupid idea that I'm I'm trying to think of the precedent. Yeah. Working. I mean, that's not what we did in the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let, we let me read. Let me read. Let me, period, let, that didn't work. Let me read something that's in the article. Ms. Kai's, by Ms. Kai's reckoning, U.S. Poly, policymakers have miscalculated at every turn. From restoring relations after Beijing's 1989 crackdown in Tiananmen Square to backing China's entry into the World Trade Organizations. Absolutely. right, that has emboldened the regime. While U.S. administrations have described China as a competitor, the Communist Party has always viewed the U.S. as a hostile adversary, she argues. So it's very funny, this woman you know, such a high-ranking official in the Chinese Communist Party, she essentially, right, is outing a strategy which is hiding in plain sight 
Except yeah. because, but the United States won't recognize it. The Western allies won't recognize it because they want to make money in China, right? Yeah, we, they, we've just ignored it. Affect policy by bribing a few people. Then China well, I mean, think about it. Target country. and Walmart have been the primary right purveyors yeah. of American jobs to China, right? Yeah. Those great American companies that we all look for that we shop at have transferred American industry to China and they facilitated the whole thing. What she does, it's funny in, in that piece is she, um, she says, she just outs it and says, yeah, this is what they know. And this is how you've been weak and and are continuing to be weak. Um, so just kind of illustrating Will's point, it doesn't work yet. We somehow, I don't know if we're placating wall street. I don't know who we're placating by, by this, this charade of, of oh yeah, the emperor's playing the emperor's new clothes with China. It isn't what it is. Yeah, look, we we you know we went through the the world's most horrific war, World War Two, and the generation of leaders that came out of that didn't want to see that happen. That great power, uh, I think that the idea of you know Nixon to China was a strategic idea, uh, but then when President Bush the elder was there, Tiananmen should have been, you know, the emperor's clothes got ripped off at Tiananmen. Right. These people are not moderating. They haven't changed. They're the sons and the grandsons of one of the most murderous people in the history of yes. the world now, or the modern world. I don't know the history of yeah. the world. The modern world. And then that should have been that. And everything after that was all about uh, short-term dollars. Because, you know, in the 90s, who could have anticipated that in 2021, we'd be $25 trillion in debt, $6 trillion of that to China, uh, that the manufacturing base in the United States uh, would have been, I don't know, 40%. I don't even know what the number is. A huge decline from yeah. where it was uh, that all of our intellectual property, uh, just consider it stolen, um, you know, all that stuff in the 90s. Um, yeah, they're bad people, but look at that market. It's a billion people. Yeah. Up until President Trump, That's your it. basic Republican uh, presidential candidate or president always, always looked for compromise with either threatening nations in the world like China and the Soviet Union and also with the Democratic Party, when they would compromise when they didn't have to. That's the story of George H.W. Bush. And consequently, he lost the election because of that, because, you know, he thought that, uh, well, you know, I'll just uh, I'll go ahead and I will raise taxes, even though I promise not to. And um, he, he paid for it, you know, and they never learn until Trump comes along and says, hey, look, the first I mean, it's basic. We. He was pushing to operate within our self-interest. They don't. They think that they mirror image the Chinese. They think if we treat them the way we like to be treated, that we'll get results from that. And you don't. You lose. You know, there's something else going on, too. And that's well, hold on, hold on. I want to talk about her article, though. Okay? Not yeah. a kind of general discussion about yeah, China. She's... But I want to yeah. – what's interesting is that such a high-ranking official, she evidently gets – marooned here while while vacationing in the united states and covid starts 
and and now she's uh, her paper released today. We'll be able to read the whole thing, but um, but again, I right, go ahead, Timmy. I just want to make I just want to crop no, the conversation. No, no, her her article in which she accuses us of naivete and uh, and consistently working against our own self interest. It sounds like um, I, I'm reading it. I'm like, wow, that's that's Grant Newsom. It sounds like she listens to the podcast a little bit. Of course, I'm joking. Somebody at, at her level, that is rather remarkable. But the the other thing I wanted to bring up was this was this senior Chinese defector from the intelligence services who will only who went to the DIA and will only cooperate with the DIA will not deal with the FBI or the CIA. I find that kind of disconcerting. And that guy apparently came over with a lot of information too, which is which is telling us what we already know about how much how deeply we've been penetrated, and, and how is this the guy that this supposedly also gave them the the intel um, about uh, the Wuhan virus and why is the same guy because there's an, it's uh, same guy gave the, gave the Wuhan stuff the names of citizens that provided intel to China the names of spies working. In the U.S. and attending U.S. universities, he apparently has a lot of information, and it's just weird how that's being processed. Because you can see there's 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 tension between the agencies, and I wonder why. Mac, you know, th- think of what's happened to us in the last thirty years. You just said that a senior Communist Party official was vacationing in the U.S. 30 years ago, or 40 or 50, we would have said a senior Chinese communist official was spying in the U.S. Now they're just vacationing. That's how screwed up we've become. They're yeah. good people. If we just treat them nice, no, they hate us. <laughs> they want to screw us. They want to enslave us. They want to be number one. They want us to be number two, 10, 50, or whatever. And it's poisoned us. You know, think of, you know, Jeff in the, in the 70s. What did people think? Military people think about China. Enemy. They were, they were the people that tortured uh, POWs in Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, now, and I get it, you got to be able to break bread with the enemy at some point. But you can never no, what, what, to me, what to me she is, is she's the cherry on top. Right when you have somebody this high, right, and this is like okay, the curtain is done. I mean, it's uh, it, when this person. Let me let me read you something else that I find interesting, and then we'll talk about what you're reading. According to Ms. Kai, China is powerful in appearance, but riven with contradictions and self-doubt that have been more pronounced under Mr. Xi. The Chinese Communist Party has the ambition of a hungry dragon, but inside it is a paper tiger, she writes. She also wrote that Washington should be, quote, prepared for the possible sudden disintegration of the party. While she alleged deep divisions among its 92 million members, she didn't offer recent evidence of a split with Mr. Xi aside from writing that, Many party members and elites in society accept and approve of the American democratic system and freedom as universal values. I thought that was the other very, very interesting piece of this little kind of synopsis of what she wrote in terms of saying that. um, And and then there's another little part that says that China is facing 
a crisis of, of, of generations, that the y- younger Chinese do not subscribe. Wait, wait, here it is. A generational shift is underway in China with traditional values giving way to more liberal attitudes, and it does not favor the long-term prospects of the Chinese Communist Party. So I, I thought that I, I thought that was the other interesting part of uh, of uh, of the article. How, how many more these... million men do they have than women in China? That's another that's another damn problem, I would think. Yeah, the, you, you think about things like this. You know, a gangster regime, uh, a mafia crime family, uh, Hitler, very strong but brittle. You know, they're brittle. But opposed to but, democracy but, like us often very, very weak, but have depth. So the Chinese problem is, are they going to get old before they get rich and break? And our problem is, are we going to have faith in the way we do things, or are we going to change? Democracy's slow to get going, but once they get going, the true diversity, not the capital D where we slice people up by race, creed, color, but the true diversity comes out. Uh, but we're destroying our true diversity in the goal of having the capital D where everyone identifies by race, creed, color, blah, 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 blah. And so that's the race. And that's actually, that's like a false, uh, I don't even think they're after diversity. I think it's just a way to weaken Western civilization. Absolutely. Yeah, but but were you surprised? Let me take it back to the article, though. And that's what I want to talk about. Were Were you surprised of how brittle that she asserts and and she said the United States needs to be, prepare for a rapid demise of China does Holy that shit. did that did that surprise I you she's right but i mean just i don't know enough about it to evaluate it you know mac right i think a rapid demise is hard but i mean you you think about the chinese now so so every kid there from the age of five to 35 or 40 is an only child, right? Right. And uh, every parent on the, of the age of 22 to 70 has only got one kid. And so they realize they have a huge demographic problem, so they've opened up all the controls. But now the population is, fuck, we're used to paying for one kid. And we live in a in a tiny little apartment. How the hell are we going to pay for two? So their demographics are not going to change rapidly. And right. the second thing is, we've invested everything in our family into this one kid, uh, and is and that kid needs to be successful. Well, success can be defined a bunch of different ways, but you know what? <clears throat> the top ten percent is still only ten percent. And everyone else is not going to be in that top 10%. So people are going to feel unsatisfied with what they were promised. So I think that there is probably great unrest to come. But will it be a rapid collapse of the party? That's hard to say. I mean, I think there will be a generational, you know, over the course of 20 odd years, if we don't give it away, they have huge problems. The thing is, we're giving it away as fast as we can possibly give it away. So, right. Timmy, that's the race. 
I, I still can't get over the imbalance between males and females in China. They went to that one-child policy, that, which, which uh, prompted infanticide of females. I think it's 65, 30-something, I, 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 you know, 65, 30, I, I don't know what it is. But they've got millions and millions more dudes than there are girls to marry them. And that's got, that's got to be a problem. Because what, what, that's, that's just one of those things that we're talking birds and the bees level of, of motivations. They've got way too many extra guys. And there's, I can think of one way to get rid of them quick. Well, actually, we couldn't do it now because we don't have any tanks or artillery. But anyway, you know, we, can't, get, can't, we can't help them out of that point. But I, I just can't get past that. I don't know that uh, uh, somebody that senior coming over here being stuck in COVID and having this transformation, I don't know how much credence to give her, quite frankly. Uh, this is China's sex ratio at statisticstime.com. The percentage of the female population is 48.7% compared to 51.29%. Oh, that's, I got that. That's much better. China has 37 million more males than females. Oh, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, I would, I would, what you need though is the key demographic, which is like 18 to, to what, 28, 18 to 38. Yeah. I right, don't care how many old people they got. What are you reading? I am. Uh, I just started that Rick Atkinson trilogy about the Army in World War II. No, that's great. Yeah, I'm reading an Army at Dawn, and uh, first, the guy is just a phenomenal writer. I, I read his first book about the Revolutionary War. That's why I went back to these because I had just never read them before, and uh, so I'm in the, the North Africa campaign as they're stalled before uh, Tunisia. And uh, it's really hard to imagine how bad we were at that point um, and and where we came from, from there and, and to becoming, you know, the world champions. But uh, really good book. I, I This guy I, I have found, he's, he's, he's like the army version of, uh, you know, Toll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Will, when you finish that trilogy, you'll wish that the war lasted longer. That's how. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish it went into 1946. And, the army at dusk. And and I'm I'm glad you already read it, Jeff. And I was going to disappoint you and say it. I got it, I got it on Kindle, so you can't steal it. <laughs> that's right. That's where I thought. That's where I thought that was going. By the way, Tim, what do you what are you read? Well, uh, based on that uh, foreign affairs article you sent out this morning, I've already got um, uh, the. Uh, we see what the heck is it here? The Chronicle of the De- of a fit, of a defeat foretold by Carter Malkinson, and uh, I've read his other book about uh, that he wrote when he's in the Hellman. And so I I can't tell you how good it is, except for I noticed that he's he's coined a term that. Uh, that he uses to describe the Afghan people, ATRAF, A-T-R-A-F. And I'm like, I've never heard that term before, and I'm pretty good about Afghan stuff. So I Googled it, and ATRAF, in Google, it's all associated with a gay Facebook page and gay stuff. It's hysterical. I, 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 I don't know where the hell he got that word from, but that's the one thing I've discovered it's so bachi, far from the book. It's a Bachabazi boy thing. Oh, dude, I would hope not. I, he, yeah, but I don't know where he got that word. 
But I'm starting to read the book. I don't know if it will be a comprehensive history or not, but he's got the background given his access as a USAID guy and then uh, as an aide for General Dumford. He spent a lot Carter of time. Carter Malkazian, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that how you say it? I think that's how. Yeah. You, that's how I heard it. Yeah. And again, he was in in and around Hellman when we were there. Mm-hmm. And I think. Yeah, on, yeah on he, he was at Gormsmere. I, I. Right. I think I met him. I'm not he's sure. Bar too, and during Iraq. Yeah. 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 yeah he was in, no, he was. And he was one of the few people that people respected his opinion and and listened to him. Mm-hmm. Interesting guy, Jeff. What are you reading? Nothing. I'm just doing this move. I'm going to start. I'm taking a vacation starting um, this week. First vacation I've had since I retired, where I'm taking the whole next week off, the 4th of July week. Wow. And I'm going to sit in my house in Vegas and go swimming and not do shit. And I will not obey any directives from my significant other. The, 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 The ruling party? I bet you do. I won't. You won't. You say that. <laughs> That's bold talk from a one-eyed I fat man right there. Put up the, the Gadsden flag over my fucking <laughs> my half of the bed. You just you just gotta hang out outside where it's hot. They, yeah. they won't. She won't they, come out here. We will not play the emperor's new clothes with you. You'll do whatever she says, and you'll <laughs> like it. And that's just the way it is. But here, here, where you you are a. I will read a book next week. A bold one talking one eyed fat man. We uh <laughs> you could be whatever you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. I, I continue to listen to The Body Keeps the Score and uh and I'm enjoying it. Boys, first of all, thank you very much. Will good luck in your travels. And yeah, uh yeah, and Jeff, good luck finishing your move and uh and on vacation. I'll talk to you next week. But yeah. Hey, fly your flags on the fourth. You bet. Yeah. All of them. All right, man. I fly them every day, but fly them on the fourth. I put the big fuckers up. <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, you should see it. I'll, I'll send you guys as, a picture. As you do. Yeah. Just to remind. Yeah, guys. Just to remind everybody. All right, guys. See you. All right. See ya. I just had to do some cu- computer wizardry, so forgive me for that. Anyway, without further ado, the Mensa brothers here talking about the secretary. Of defense, former type that passed away last night at the age of 88, Don Rumsfeld. Um, you'll hear Will, then you'll hear Tim by himself, and then you'll hear uh, you hear Will by himself, Tim by himself, and Jeff by himself. And if you're a Don Rumsfeld fan, you might want to find something else to do for the next 41 minutes and 53 seconds. After that, you'll hear them talking about... Um, Answering the question, are you surprised at the pace of uh, change in Afghanistan and the Taliban advance, actually, and also uh, their reaction to uh, this article uh, written in the Wall Street Journal uh, uh, that's quoting very, very high-placed woman uh, who was a very high Chinese Communist Party official that is now in the United States. So that's what you'll hear. Stand by. Of the three Mensa brothers, uh, joining me first this morning to talk about the death of Donald Rumsfeld is uh, Will Costantini, who graciously joins us while he's driving. And, uh, you know, I was going through Don Rumsfeld's biography, um, son of a, a, a Navy pilot, carrier pilot, lived in Coronado during World War II, uh, high school wrestler, captain of Princeton's wrestling team, uh, 
Eagle Scout, wins national awards from uh, the Boy Scouts of America. Um, he is, uh, after he gets out of the, he's a, he's a United States Navy pilot, anti-submarine warfare pilot. Uh, he runs for Congress and is elected uh, for three terms from 1963 to 1969. Uh, he then becomes the director of the Office of Economic Opportunity for a year. He becomes counselor to the president for four years under uh, under Nixon and then President Ford. He becomes the United States permanent representative to NATO for a year. The White House chief of staff the following year in 1974-75. So, I mean, his rise is meteoric uh, in American politics and, and throughout the 60s and the early 70s. Uh, he is... Uh, he is then, uh, he goes and becomes uh, uh, into private business uh, and uh, becomes a CEO. Uh, probably most notable is General Instrument Corporation of all of that. He then is appointed for the second time. He is the youngest and the oldest Secretary of Defense ever. Uh, so he's appointed Secretary of Defense for the second time by George W. Bush. And uh, and that to me is uh, is where I don't know uh, I think is his the greatest part of his legacy and what he will be known for exists. So uh, with that little bit of a preamble, Will, uh, your thoughts on Don Rumsfeld passing and uh, and and what he will be known for? Yeah, I'll give you two things. Item one: He was the perfect Secretary of Defense. For George W., assuming there was no war, right? Uh, the Pentagon was in a little bit of disarray. We were trying to figure out how to transition out of the Cold War. Uh, bureaucracy is bloated. Procurement is horrible. And so we bring in a guy who understands the politics of Washington, D.C. at the highest level. And he also understands the defense industry. And he came in and wanted to put an ass whipping uh, on the Pentagon. And I think uh, that they were trying to get that started. Uh, and then 9-11 hit. And so w w what would have made him great there is bringing that real business perspective into the Pentagon. But then the war hits. And uh, he, he had some very great things. But the worst thing about him is that he was a businessman. And one thing we've learned about fighting a war is it's not the person that's most economical. It's, it's the one that's the most wasteful in combat. That's how you win big wars, i.e., if it's going to take a division, then you send an army. If it's going to take a squad, you send a company. And when you do that, you end up getting the thing over a lot faster, and you don't take as many casualties. And so you think about uh, the, the workup. Uh, when we were going to go into Iraq, uh, you know, in business, you want to get really close to the margin. Uh, if it's going to take uh, 10 trucks to move all your stuff, you don't want to have any more than about nine. And then every once in a while, you're not able to move something, but you're very, very efficient. Well, that's what we tried to do in Iraq. You know, I predicted it was going to take whatever, 150,000 troops, 
and uh, Rumsfeld sent 143,000 or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, the, Shinseki, the, the war plan actually calls for over 300,000. Um, oh, and then Shinseki says send 500,000. Right. And Shinseki had the idea. You know, you, you, you don't want to be close to the margin. You want to be way over. And Rumsfeld didn't do it. Uh, so he's going to be known for that. Uh, I'll tell you a Rumsfeld story. So I'm in the Pentagon. I was in the joint staff uh, when he was a sec desk. And uh, there, an issue came up about the multinational force, which is, uh, it's not a UN force. It's a force that's in the Sinai, went in there after the uh, Israeli-Egyptian uh, War in 1973. Right. And uh, some issue came up. And uh, so the joint staff put together uh, an idea, and then the Secretary of Defense's staff. He's got a separate staff, some civilians, some military, put something in there as well, and it all goes up into his office, and I'm sitting in the outer office. And, of course, the decision comes out, and it's a hybrid between the two things. And so uh, he tells General Pace to go rework the thing. We come out of the office. And uh, the guy from the Secretary of Defense's office says, hey, I got this thing in the can. Don't worry about it. And he and I talked about it for about five minutes. And boom, he had the the thing all scoped out. It was no big deal. So it goes into Rumsfeld's office. And uh, he sends out one of his famous snowflakes. He had these little white pieces of paper that he used to rain down on the staff. And they called them snowflakes. And the snowflake said, has General Pace seen this. So it works its way all the way down. And what he was asking is, he wanted to make sure that his political staff had not cut the joint staff out of putting their spin on this decision he'd made. Simple question, has General Pace seen this? And I'm like, you know, that's what the SECDEF is supposed to do. You know how long it took to answer that piece of paper? How long? Seven weeks. <laughs> it is, now I, what? Come on. Yeah. Has general? No, no, no. It worked its way all the way down to me. And what I wanted to do is go down to General Pace's office, have him put his initials on it, and send it back up. No, oh, no, 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 no. You got to send it here. You got to send it there. And it's and you and you've got two weeks to answer one of these. And so about the four-week mark, uh, the guy in our office says, hey, Willie, got to ask for an extension. And I was like, because now, you know, he kept stats on how many snowflakes were late. And I'm like, fuck no. I want, I want the SecDef to have everyone lined up outside his office saying, why the hell is this thing late? And that, unfortunately, was his failure as well, is that he – He was asking the right question, but that bureaucracy was so massive that he still couldn't put an ass whipping on it. And, uh, yeah, seven weeks. I think, I think the thing got into his office about a week before he got fired. Um, so, uh, yeah, what's he going to be known for? He's going to be known for, uh, allowing Iraq to become a quagmire. That's what I think he'll be known for. Um, so, 
you know, I, I had no personal interaction with a guy. I saw him a couple of times in the building. Uh, people were afraid of him. Uh, General Pace wasn't. Uh, I was in General Pace's office several times. Um, and they were trying to shape things. I worked for a three-star then, and when he when he was on the road, I would sit in the morning meeting with General Pace, and he'd talk about the second death, and this is what he wants, and explain why, and, you know, it seemed very thoughtful and logical to me, but I got to tell you, most people around the building were afraid of him, and uh, that's another thing that's not really great as a leader. You got to have people uh, willing to push back against you, and then you got to absorb that and modify you know and the, the famous guy is general newbold who is uh you know is a great american and great great marine officer pushed back against him and rumsfeld kicked him out basically um which is so, what which is what he did to shinseki as the army chief of staff when he retired him early. yeah yeah right, right, right. um and and listen i don't i don't fault uh you know people who picked on general pace about it i don't I don't buy that. General Pace, big time character guy. Uh, he understood civilian control. I think he gave this, uh, you know, the issue was somewhat in doubt about how we approach this thing. And uh, this, put the, forward the, to second, this thing, meaning the war in the Iraq, war. both, yeah. both of them. Iraq was much more at that point. There was, there was not a lot of controversy, unfortunately, about what we were doing in Afghanistan. We had this euphoria that we won and that everything was going to be easy. And I don't think there was a lot of pushback from anyone in the building about taking on a, a big war there, um, unfortunately. Uh, but Iraq, uh, I think there was some controversy. Uh, and I'll tell you, even the war plan when, when I went over... It talked about uh, once once we took Baghdad, there was going to be 18 months that we were all going to be there. And when I got there, it was amazing to me. It was like a race to get home. And there's another thing that I sort of fault the SecDef for, that uh, they built a plan, they signed off on a plan, then they didn't follow the plan. And I think, again, there was a little euphoria going on there. Um, so... Yeah, bad, uh, bad turn. And uh, it really, the, the strategy got flawed. And that that does sit on uh, the SEGDAF, the president, the chairman uh, at that point. And, and that's what, that's what Rumsfeld's going to be known for. And then, you know, the press is is going to paint him as the all-time villain. I don't go that far, but I, I think he, I you know, they screwed it up, like it or not. Uh, and, and I don't think that's 2020 hindsight. Uh, I, 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 you know, Shinseki is a classic guy. He had foresight to see it. Um, and I think that... Uh, a more thoughtful approach at that point to to see what you know chief staff of the army was really talking about could have moderated that plan and, and led to better success you know right. right i was actually thinking about it as i go down i got i got a guy buried down south of oklahoma city 
and uh, every time I go to Dallas, either down there or on the way back, I, I stop by and visit them. And, uh, you know, it's hard to think about that, that, uh, you know, these guy, this guy got buried in 2004. It's 17 years ago. And, uh, you know, where are we? For what? It's troubling. Um, and look, he uh, he took that to his grave too. Brunsfeld did. So. Yeah. No, I. Um, and there's no. I. I that's hard. <laughs> That's hard. When, why, and uh, and then I I think what always used to irritate me was his, what his public arrogance over his own position. You know, the, the war plan said three hundred fifty thousand. Shinseki just stated what had been validated in exercise after exercise when they exercised the war plan, knowing that or believing according to you know what the intel said that if you don't go there with way more than you need you're going to have a civil war in your hands and then good luck in that quagmire with a small force and yet yeah. right he ripped up the war plan wrote his own and then in spite of indicators that contradicted his assumptions we stuck to that course of action and and certainly when you and I were there in 2004 we're out there playing whack-a-mole yeah and uh and he had already he had already smoked Shinseki uh Newbold had already resigned he brokered no uh, criticism. He accepted none. At least it looked it looked like that to me. And generals would not push back on it. And so everybody knows we don't have enough people there. Nobody says shit in public, and we and, and we do that. And then and now, you know, I mean, there's families that that do exactly what you're doing every Memorial Day and major holidays. Go to the cemetery, put flowers, and the question is for what? In, yeah. in Iraq. And so no, that's tough. That's tough. How's the drive so far? Uh, not bad. Uh, you know, I-35 gets a little lonely down here, which is okay. Uh, and it's actually not raining for the first time in about a week. Uh, <laughs> so that's all good. Yeah, the, the, you know, the bitch is, it rains so much. But with lumber prices, we can't even afford to build an ark. You know, we just got to live through it. Yeah, well, uh, good good luck with that whole uh, good luck with that whole thing. And then there'll be a heat wave coming behind it. It'll come down from Canada, where it's. I think I saw it was 121 degrees in Canada. There you go. Yeah, it. But it was a dry 120. So <laughs> they, they, got, they got that going for it. All right, we'll drive safe. I'll talk to you. All right, thanks, Max. You bet. See you. Tim Lynch joins us now, taking a little break from his weightlifting routine um, here on a Thursday morning. Uh, Don Rumsfeld uh, passed away. Um, lifelong, or, or for much of his life, a public servant, uh, then into the private sector, uh, Secretary of uh, Defense twice. Um, your, your thoughts on his passing, your thoughts on his legacy? Well, I noticed that uh, the news media is treating, at least the news media that I read in the morning, is treating him as a bit of a, a classical hero because he never deflected all the enormous, enormous amount of blame that was heaped on his shoulders for the debacles of Iraq and Afghanistan, etc. Um, and so 
he's been put forth as a as a, a virtuous man who stuck by his principles and uh, and served the public to the best of his abilities. And it may well be the, the the truth, but I I will I will never see it that way. I consider him to be a lot like the 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 McNamara to whom you are not related. In that his arrogance, uh, you, you, there's no excuse for that type of, of arrogance from the top, from a very, very bright and accomplished man to ramrod through what he personally feels is the best way to do things. And I, I'll, I'll never move away from that. So it's, uh, you know, he, he served the country. He served the country to the best of his abilities, I'm sure. For that, we can, he's, he's been thanked enough, quite frankly. And uh, and so that's uh, that's that's the end of that. And just so everybody knows, Tim used a word that I use, and I used it at the end of uh, of Will's comments, and that is arrogance. And yeah. uh, oh. you know, let me tell you, if we're if we weren't a, a results based society, a results based culture, and if he wasn't in a results based business, his effort would be commended. But we, we, especially in, in terms of war, because when you unleash that, you unleash that on a population as well as a, as a foreign adversary. And when you fuck that up and you're one of the principals, then you own it and you wear it. And so um, I'm not – a lot of people serve, right? And, and, right? and if that's all he's being lauded for, then the rest of it, especially at the level at which he served – was not very good, and I think that's and that's being kind to that guy. It, it is being very kind, and there's a lesson to be learned in it, and that is that the one personality trait that separates the truly great from the very talented is the get along with other people, agreeability, the ability to listen and acknowledge uh, uh, subordinates as they try to explain things, instead of always being the smartest guy in the room. And so this is a perfect example of a man who had the right intentions, I, I believe, who feels about the country the similar way that you and I feel about him. But he was an extraordinarily bright man who had very low levels of agreeableness or social uh, or, or the ability to socially interact uh, on on a on individual. And, and that's what you get when you get people like him. He just, uh, you know, if that guy had been a little bit less arrogant and more agreeable I think we might have seen a, a different outcomes on these unfortunate wars that have lasted 20 years. It's, it's, uh, but he's not, and and he owns this, and I think that he wore that uh, until he died, and and uh, as he should. Um, you know, if you listen to a book called "Good to Great" by a guy named Jim Collins. Um, you will read about the Stockdale Paradox. And I talk about ah. the, the Stockdale Paradox in Post-Traumatic Winning. Um, yeah. And what Collins and his group found in an empirically driven study that drove them to organizations that were good became great. And in their study, they had to sustain that greatness, which was empirically defined by you had to be multiples of your of your industry norm industry average earnings. You had to be multiples of that, right? And you had to sustain that for a minimum of 15 years. And they used 15 years because that normally spanned a transition of CEOs and leaders, which meant that the culture had to be great. A great organization was built. Right, right, and, yeah, yeah. Irrespective and, of who's driving. Exactly. And so 
one of the things they found in these in these organizations was one of the that that monetary compensation of the CEO was irrelevant. One of the, <laughs> one of the common the exact opposite of what I learned in business school. Right, exact opposite. Right, as opposed to like Lee Iacocca. Right, Chrysler made a splash and then struggled, you know, for the rest of his time there. Um, and but he got paid a ton. But these CEOs had in common one trait, right, above all wow. others, and that was their humility. There you go. And then they were they were ultimately team people. They were good at spotting talent and growing talent. They were clear in their message, but they were they were humble people and they took criticism on board criticism on board easily. They did not acquiesce easily, but they were open and their subordinates were comfortable expressing criticism of the organization. So it's interesting, um, I don't know you know, that your comment jogs that thought in my mind. No, it, it, that's that's an interesting thought. I what what the basis of my comment is from listening to Jordan Peterson podcast, like I was just doing before I called you up here in, in the gym, and he's the guy that was bringing out the, the agreeableness versus aggressiveness. I found it an interesting talk that he was having, right? And what what you're saying in that book is the same thing Peterson's saying, which is I think is going to rapidly become conventional wisdom and that is this agreeableness this humbleness this willingness to listen to subordinates and take ideas on board is rather a crucial function at the executive level and it's absent in a lot of executive level positions now it just is i was having a conversation with somebody um who we put through ioc do you remember dan caulfield oh yeah i do i do but why why do i what do as a reason i must i think we used to yell at him a lot I but, think so too. But, yeah, there was something about him that irked me. I believe. I don't right. know. He's a yeah, something he, about that. He's a pretty successful business guy now, and he's no in, shit. Yeah, <laughs> and he's interested in post-traumatic winning, and uh, so he, he and I have had a couple conversations. He was here yesterday. No uh, shit. Yeah, talking to me, and um, you know that that humility thing. Right. And uh-huh. and so I get asked, like, so how did you you know, how did you learn? Like, how did you learn this stuff? And my answer is always uh-huh. the same. It's like I listened. Yeah. I, I've interviewed people for into the sixth year now. And I listen as they talk about their struggle and what's helped them, what hasn't helped them. And so the skill I would say that is most essential, you know, if you want to be a leader is to listen. You have to have a brain. You have to be driven. You have to be committed. All of that. But if you won't listen to people that are sharing uh, their their honest thoughts about with you about whatever the endeavor you're involved in, in my opinion, you can't have a transcendent organization. And, and so it's and, interesting. And you and I, Mac, have have. We're, we're birthed by an organization which prides itself on leadership. We've listened to it. We've heard it. We've read about it for 20 years. When's the first time you heard about that, that aspect of leadership? I don't know that I ever heard listening as a, as a leadership trait. Right. Right. No, I've never heard of it either. That's not one of the things that would have, uh, would have popped immediately to mind. But now after 
looking back you know, 30 some odd years later at all this experience, <laughs> it jumps out at you like you should have known it all along and didn't. But well, and, and to me, the best leaders that I think we've ever served with are the ones that did what? They listened to you. They would discuss an idea with you. They made you feel important, which made That's you right. want to give more to the organization. Right. Yeah. And, and, they and, had, and, and, and they had. And chief coming coming to mind at the top of that for me is Colonel, then General Tony Zinni. There you go. I, boy, wouldn't it have been nice to work for him? But yeah. but I was going to say, with the good ones that listened, they also had clearly defined lines. And if you got close to them, you got a warning. And if you and if you didn't listen to the warning, then you, were, of course, were a casualty. I like that kind of leadership myself. Oh, uh, let me tell you. It's unambiguous. It's, unambiguous, straightforward. It's unambiguous. A, it's inspiring, too. I mean, uh-huh. it's inspiring. And again, um, it's not skip and go naked stuff. Right. Oh, fuck. No, they weren't. They were not. We get, we did not get raised by skip and go naked guys. And, <clears> and, and you in, 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 and in, in talking about Don Rumsfeld, I can remember being in Iraq and watching his arrogant press conferences as young Marines are out there dying because we don't have enough guys over there. And, and, and my dumb, my dumb ass wasn't was over here. I was enjoying him because he was torturing the press and I hate the press. Right. That's how stupid I was. Well, no, I mean, I, mean, I, 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 I no, but to, again, to admit that. if you don't know, right, yeah. you don't know. But when yeah, you're sure. sitting there watching the news, right, and you're trying to, you know, eat, uh, I can't tell you, I, I know it happened to me more than once where I just got up, I took my tray and I turned it in I, and, and I walked out because it, it, it made me ill to see this, yeah. er, to see his arrogance and him lecturing America's media about about the force levels in Iraq, right, and what we were doing there and why it wasn't going according to plan. And it was his plan. He tore up the war plan, and he pulled his own plan out of his ass. Yep. And, and, and yep. again, you know, um, I think what's quintessentially horrible about it is because he lived in the aftermath of Vietnam. And what he did was he walked down the same path and you mentioned it, you know, before mm-hmm. the same arrogant path that Robert McNamara walked down and we reenacted Vietnam in Iraq. I sensed that he was able to walk down that path because Bush, the senior insisted on ending the, the, the uh, desert storm one rather early. And, uh, and at the time, I do believe the generals and everybody else are all on board with shutting this thing down and Rumsfeld and those other guys weren't they're saying no we need to take out these republic we need to hurt these people and uh and the military and bush said no we stood down so when 911 came around Rumsfeld was yeah i heard all your bullshit about 50 uh, all this before we're not doing that so some of that may in fact have been con- uh, uh, contributed by by a, a, a misuse of our forward of our of our combat power I'm not, I'm not offering excuses. I'm just trying to paint a picture. It's the only thing I can think of that justifies his level of arrogance is he held the general officers in contempt, which makes one wonder what about the little way in the future here with the current uh, crop of general officers. It's very, very disturbing that that somebody like him could do that, could come in and completely dictate everything. Um, 
I, and 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 the reasons that he's doing it is that he feels the military isn't being honest with him. I I don't like that whole feel. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. This whole thing just sucks when you when you when you start to look at it with any kind of a of detail or fidelity. And it's a it's it's a problem. I don't think I don't think we've seen the last Don's rum rum stuff, quite frankly. Oh God, I hope we have. I hope I I hope that they at least when they when they contemplate. I mean, look at the impact that that guy has had on mid, on the Middle East, on Europe, on the American economy, on our, our on the federal budgets, right? I mean, he, you know, and and George Bush, you know, the village idiot, right? Mm. I mean, look at what yep. they, look at what they did, and then he came home and he wrote a book and he made millions of dollars, you know, and or he went home and he wrote a book and he made millions of dollars. And and I, I just I don't think <laughs> uh, I don't think you should be able to profit from making bad decisions about taking a nation to war. I think that all those profits should go to other people um, and you should probably be sent to Devil's Island. Your family can stay in Conus, but uh, well, I- but you should go to Devil's Island. I don't think I think that, you know, there should be a war evaluations tribunal at the end of every one of them. And if you're found culpable, you know, of, of not operating in the national interest, if you're not oper- if you're found, you know, guilty of arrogance, which we'd have to probably enact into the UCMJ as a as a as a crime, and your arrogance contributed to a, to a poor course of action, then you would be sentenced to Devil's Island, which would be close to the North Pole and the South Pole. It wouldn't be a tropical place where you could exist like in rags and barefoot you would die and so i i don't i don't, I don't, I don't mean to go down that road because he's dying today because he's dead but um the arrogance piece and the human carnage that got created in the middle east because of that arrogance has served not only the united states poorly and our, and our interests poorly but the you know but the world poorly and that's you know, you know that's what... not something that the united states has is about no, no, and and there there is a way, there is a way to acknowledge this kind of a of a mistake, and that would have been for Don Rumsfeld to be spending the rest of his days doing what the Bar X guys do, or doing what so many other veteran groups do, which is at least taking care of the veterans and their families. God knows he had enough money; he could have he could have read a check and funded Bar X for a year. But the son of a bitch doesn't feel an obligation to make things right, and that. That right there, it seems to me. Uh, well, I want to say it's un-American, but that's a little bit. Right? I, did you would, did you read? You his, can't find many examples of that, but they, I would have been happy to see him do that to did, recompense. Did you, you know? did you read his book? No. Yeah, I did not either. I went by. <laughs> no, no, I, no I, I had no interest in reading his book. Got it. All right, I will let you get back to uh, working out. I appreciate your time. Uh, Thanks to me. No worries, man. Take All care, right, Mike. There you have it. Bye bye. Tim Lynch here on a Thursday morning. The final member, last but not least, certainly, um, of of the, of the Mensa triumvirate to uh, that I tracked down this morning is Jeff Kenny. Um, Jeff, um, your thoughts on uh, the passing of Don Rumsfeld, and 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 I'll just introduce this, like I did the for the other two, uh, a longtime public servant. Uh, a veteran in the United States uh, Navy, 
a naval aviator, a Eagle Scout, a uh, a three-term congressman from Illinois, uh, twice Secretary of Defense, and a host of other advisory roles uh, in the federal government beginning in the late 60s. Um, Don Rumsfeld's legacy will be what? Well, I think uh, his legacy will be that uh, he was the architect of the of the ill decision, the ill-advised uh, incursion into Iraq, really for no good reason, which uh, went successfully at first, and then it devolved into a counterinsurgency, which we weren't prepared for it. And when there was uh, moves made and suggestions made by high-ranking military who were on the ground there about how to deal with the thing, deal with the problem, which was uh, more troop to task across the, the uh, ungoverned spaces along the Tigris and Euphrates River, he either fired them or shut them down. So consequently, between 2004 and two, late 2006, um, it was what they call whack-a-mole for us. And uh, a lot of, I mean, a lot of Marines and soldiers were killed because they couldn't cover the ground. In other words, they had to be driving at least 25 miles an hour when they should have been walking 2.5 miles an hour. And there's a huge proportion of casualties were from primitive improvised explosive devices, which every every technological way the uh, the military tried to overcome this tactical uh, decision. And that was another problem. He's up on the uh, strategic level. He was making tactical decisions. Uh, was overcome eventually by uh, technology on the other side. So, uh, and which he refused to uh, even acknowledge uh, most of the time. Finally, with the midterm elections of 2006, which swept the Republicans out of power in Congress, it, it dawned on the uh, President Bush that the reason is because of the way we weren't able to come to a successful conclusion of the Iraq counterinsurgency. And so he fired Rumsfeld and got Gates, who, along with generals like Petraeus and some of some others, went ahead and upped the troop to task by about 30,000, which was enough to put the enemy back on their heels, which every Lance Corporal, every E3 could have seen by 2005. And I had a little personal experience where I was wounded by one of those IEDs. I'm in the hospital in Bethesda and uh, I'm hearing generals come by and ask the troops, how's it going? How do you think we're doing over in Iraq? What do you think we need? And everybody from Lieutenant Colonels to Lance Corporals, we need more fucking guys. So, you know, I have a very jaundiced view of that individual because of that. And then I started digging into him a little bit. He, his main problem, he was involved in some way with the, with the reaction to the seizure of the Mayaguez at the end of uh, Operation Frequent Wind in Cambodia in 1975. And, uh, and that was another, that was like one of the first classic examples of people on the strategic level reaching their fingers down into the micro-tactical level and interfering and eventually causing confusion, causing indecision, and causing ultimately death. And so he was involved in that. He never learned his lesson. And he never even acknowledged that uh, that, that was a mistake he made after uh, you know he was thrown out of office. So um, I'm not a fan. Was he the Secretary of Defense in, for Ford? During my quest, no. He was eventually Secretary Hold on. In Ford. October of 1975, Ford reshuffled his cabinet in the Halloween Massacre. He named Rumsfeld the 13th Secretary of Defense, succeeding yeah, James had- Schlesinger. But what year was the Mayaguez incident? The Mayaguez was May of 
1975, about six months earlier. And he was the chief of staff right, of the White House. Of the White House. And so, as we know, right. chief of staff is, you know, there's Don Rumsfeld, there's Don Reagan, there's, uh, you know, there's right. a cast of characters in there. Some of them are good, you know, uh, but um, a lot of them are not. And he was not, I don't think. Right, right, right. All right, I, I, let me tell you this. I think you're factually incorrect when you say that any Lance Corporal um, could have told you that by 2005. I think right. any Lance Corporal could have told you that by July of 2004. You're right. You're right, Mac. I stand corrected. I agree with you. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, you were. I, I, I didn't. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else I got against the guy, but a lot of obscenities, and you know, and because I, and again, it's not just like disagree with this or that. You know, it's that that decision on his. And here's the other thing. He was behind that. Yeah, let's do a deception plan. We'll tell the Iraqis, you know, the Iraqi security forces, just bury your uniforms and hide your guns. And once we we win this thing, we throw Saddam out. We'll bring you back, and you'll get paid, and you'll have a job. It's a total lie. Basically, now you had hundreds of thousands of un, 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 you know unaccounted for weapons in the hand of people who've been lied to, who don't like Americans anyway, you know, and uh, ready-made uh, counterinsurgency, right there. And again. That, that we incentivize because, yeah. you know, bury your uniforms, we'll bring you back, turned into Ambas- Ambassador Brummer saying, yeah, we are going to cut them all loose and we will not honor their pensions. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, so and then the, the, then they compound that Bremer, who really was, uh, even though he was a State Department guy, he pretty much under the thumb of, uh, you know, Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld ran what was going on in Iraq. And uh, he said, hey, look. Uh, we're not going to let anybody who ever was a member of the Bath Party have a job. And they're the only, I mean, you couldn't get a job unless you're in the Bath Party uh, when Saddam was in there. And if you were in the Bath Party, you'd have a good excuse why you weren't. He might just kill you. So basically, we, we took these guys from being in a horrible situation and we put them into rock and a hard place situation. And, uh, you know, they. Uh, and then, and then to, rem- to deal with all of that, we sent a third of the number of troops that the war plan required. Yep. Yes. And, and oh yeah, exactly. So if you if you wonder where this hate comes from, you know, for those of us who saw this thing unfolding, saw young Americans doing their absolute fucking best in in just a horseshit situation. I think Jeff. Mac, hung up. Oh. No, I got you, Mac. Okay. I lost you. No, I mean that. I mean that's yeah. why I think everybody you know, feels the bitterness that they feel, you know, towards mm-hmm. this guy. And, and, and again, and then you watched him on TV and I know Jeff, you did the same thing. You yeah. wa- you watched his arrogance on TV mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, he was that, and your blood pressure just went through the roof. Yeah. And again, I, me- I remember watching him thinking this motherfucker. Yeah. Right. I mean, honestly, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's what I felt. This motherfucker is arrogant with the lives of these incredible young people. Yeah. This motherfucker. They were trying their asses off and they just, he just squandered it. They just squandered all those uh, guys. They were done anything. They could have been used so much better. Well, and I, I remember talking to pretty senior people and I remember talking to general Zinni was one of them. And yeah. he said, you know, we, we had proof that war plan and, and, and what happened in Iraq 
was predicted in the war plan. If you don't go there with enough people, you're going to have a, you're going to have a protract, protract, protracted civil war on your hands. And he said, and that's exactly what happened. And to watch him rip up the war plan, write his own, and then to watch it fail, he said, you know, he's, you know, again, this is a guy, a Vietnam guy. There were, there was, and they were so proud of Desert Storm and keeping us out of wars like Vietnam and conflicts like that that were endless. And then what do we do? Under Don Rumsfeld's leadership, we get involved in two of them. Well, yeah, they had all these smart guys that worked basically in conjunction with Rumsfeld. Cam Bone, fucking Wolfowitz. Uh, you know, all these smart guys who never served in uniform, or if they did, for sure, were never in combat. All they knew, but they're going to say, yeah, we'll send you in there and you guys will teach them how to be, how to do a democracy. And, you know, what, are you high? I mean, it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then. No, let me tell you, if you were high, you still wouldn't be that stupid. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right? That's yeah. an insult. That's an insult to everybody who's got high in their whole life. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it was it was very shitty. All right. Well, we will leave it at that. So, all right. There's a third installment. Not a good word. The, the I think Tim had the most glowing uh, praise for Don Rumsfeld among the three Mensa brothers, and that was he served his nation. Yeah, that's a pretty low fucking bar, boys and girls. It's yeah, it's like low- saying. Of all the people I ever knew, he was one of them. You know what? That's exactly that's exactly what that's saying. Yeah. All right, Jeffrey. Good luck with the tail end of your move. I'll talk to you. Thank you. You bet. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Max. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you're if you're a Don Rumsfeld fan. Uh, you probably <laughs> shut this off a long time ago. Um, but uh, yeah. It was interesting because them, as opposed to listening to each other, um, nobody heard what anybody else said. And I think you hear the universal scorn in our voices uh, when we think of Don Rumsfeld. So um, the Mensa, the Mensa brothers continue, and this was uh, this was what we recorded. And again, the subject matter is one the faster-than-anticipated collapse of Afghanistan, and two, a very high-ranking Chinese, former Chinese Communist Party official, wrote a piece called, and it's entitled, um, Former Chinese Party Insider Calls U.S. Hopes of Engagement Naive. And so... uh, so we uh, talk about both those subjects, and uh, that happens right now. So don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. All right, it is Thursday, so... Um that means the Mensa brothers join me, and they do. Uh, joining me for the uh, second time this week from San Clemente, California, Jeff Kenny. How you doing? Why are you sweating? Because I was uh, loading boxes into my van to put in, to move this crap. 
right. So, uh, almost done though. Almost done. I may actually not stroke out or murder my wife. So if I can avoid those two pitfalls, I'll be good. I think I will. Well, congratulations on all of that. So she may murder me, in which case my problems are over. Yeah. When you, have you resolved whether you'll be cremated or interred someplace or I could give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be stuffed like, you know, and, um, you know, you guys can come visit me and shit. So, El Cid? Yeah. El Cid. Well, that's good. Uh, joining us from McAllen, Texas is uh, Tim Lynch. Tim, how you doing? Doing fine. Thank you, Matt. And give us a weather update on McAllen, Texas. Well, unfortunately, raining, which is putting a damper on the Trump rally, which is where I would be if I were not talking with you at the moment. But wow. uh, the, it seems like the rain is going to hold off. I don't know how big of a crowd is going to be here for the border visit with the uh, former President Trump and the current governor, but we'll see. The I was interested to see, I did not know this, that McAllen is the epicenter of this uh, border crisis. Yay? It, 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 it is. It, it is the epicenter. There is a, there, all the crowding is, is horrible, but you got to keep in mind, this is a Hispanic part of the country. This shit don't impact us. It gets, it gets detained in the border, they they got a few overflowing homes, but they're busting and flying these people yeah. out twenty four seven. They don't stay here. They're not they're not welcomed here. And everybody here knows who they are because everybody speaks Spanish. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Right. I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. I was interested uh, because the vice president went well west of McAllen and, and her. Right. Chris, and I said, "Oh, McAllen, Tim lives there." I, I didn't know that that was the epicenter of all of but, this. So. But no impact to the citizens of the city. You, if you were sick, you would have no idea this was happening. If if you just went around your your business here during the day, those people are contained and effectively moved out of here very quickly. Got it. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, Will Cosentini joins us. Will is traveling though. Will, where are you, and why are you there, and what are you doing? I am on my way to Dallas to visit one of my daughters for the uh, holiday. Ah, what a good dad, huh? Yeah, you know. So you are you on your way? Where are you? So where are you? Well, it depends. <laughs> it's not. It's not really a trick question. Oh, you mean at the time we record this, or the time that we broadcast it? Right. Well, at the time we broadcast it. Let's see. I will be somewhere in Oklahoma, heading south on I-35. Oklahoma. And currently you're in? Currently I remain uh, at an undisclosed location somewhere (laughs) in the suburbs of Kansas City, where it's been raining for seemingly months, except for the (laughs) one week when it was 100 degrees here. Wow. You got that going for you. Well, Yeah. It's Midwest. There you go. There you go. Uh, Tim, we didn't ask you about the weather. You said it's raining down there. Oh, oh it's overcast, rainy, about uh, in the low 80s. It's quite pleasant. It's, it's been a rainy summer here. My my uh, my sunflowers, I've got 12, 14-footers out there now, and they haven't even bloomed yet. Wow. i got like like Jack the Beanstalk action going in my backyard. That's <laughs> yeah, kind of cool, but that's just because of the rain. I think that's the first Jack and the Beanstalk reference ever here on All Marine in, in five-plus years. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you don't want to roll that one out for another five, quite frankly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a well, bit Well, no, dated. when it's appropriate, 
it's appropriate. All right. Oh, I, it looks. Good. I hope yeah. we don't have to t- wait another five years for it, because um, <laughs> it's a. It was a little bit of a. I don't know. I got a chuckle out of it, Jeffrey. The weather in your neck of the woods, where you're sweating profu- profusely, would be what? It's uh as usual. It's warm. It's about you know sixty-eight, seventy degrees. Um, um, overcast. It'll probably burn off later on today, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's unseasonably warm. For the coast here, you know. Um, you said it's 68 degrees, though. Yeah, it's only 10 o'clock. It's getting hotter. Let, let me, I can check it. The, right now. the high today is going to be like 74. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's a little, little muggy because there's rain in the air, but it hasn't rained yet. Got it, got it, got it. All right. All right. Um, let's talk about Afghanistan. It's 66 degrees right now. All right. There you have There's your current weather updates from uh, all parts of the Mensa Empire. So, um, being the brilliant men that you are, um, Afghanistan in the news, uh, Ashraf Ghani and Abdullah Abdullah, both here in the United States, seeing the president, uh, the president doing his best to offer, you know, offer, I don't even know what he offered, offered, uh, condolences, offered a safe passage out. Um, I'm not really sure what the president offered him. Um, so I'm curious about your thoughts. Um, there's even articles being written that Taliban commanders have told their forces to slow down because, uh, you know, at least in northern Afghanistan, uh, things um, are are moving faster than anticipated in a world of straight-up pessimism. So, um, Jeff, uh, your thoughts. I mean, you're on record as predicting that Afghanistan will be Afghanistan, which will be the Taliban controlling the vast majority of, of if not all of the, of the countryside and and powerful warlords will control the major cities, which is Afghan's history. So um, are you still sticking to that or give, yeah. us, give us some thoughts? And, and are you surprised that this thing is collapsing faster than people thought it would. No, I think uh, the deals have been made. You know, there's some some of the uh, military commanders will stay, you know, and uh, become warlords themselves. Most of them will run away. Will run away, um, go to India or Dubai. They've hoarded a lot of money that they plundered from their own, from the, us, and from their own people. And uh, you know, that's what will happen. The uh, the as far as the Taliban up there in the, in the north, um, I think even the Taliban is different now. The Taliban is like, you know, two parts, uh, you know, guerrilla army, one part drug selling enterprise, you know, drug smuggling, not even smuggling, just importing and exporting. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, like I said, it's pretty much the deals have been made. Those cities will hang on probably as long as the salaries keep getting paid for the Afghan security forces. Once we stop doing that, then they'll fold, then they'll, they'll be a pell-mell, you know, running away. Like for instance, in the, after the, uh, the Afghan Soviet war, they hang they hung on for a couple of years until Soviet union collapsed and the money for the, for the, uh, security forces dried up. A lot of those guys, like uh, there's the movie uh, 12 Strong, Dostum, he never was a resistance guy against either the Russians or, you know, the government. He was a government guy. Uh, he's a, you know, he's a ruthless 
uh, military commander and actually a little bit, you know, probably more effective than most. But uh, so, you know, I think that's what will happen. It'll they'll, uh, it'll it'll collapse into uh, chaos. So well, it's chaos, but controlled because by the like I said, for a while, the cities will be right. by, held by the government and the. Uh, OK, so <laughs> let me ask you this. You, you and, and then we'll get Tim's thoughts and then we'll um, you said the deals have been made. Can you explain yeah. that to, pe- to people? I think the uh, like the commanders of the of the uh, what we used to call the regional command areas. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what the Afghans are called. They probably they they probably have uh, they just call it by the name of the place since it's their country. But uh, I think they've either come to agreements with the with the dominant um, you know guerrilla forces in their area, either Taliban or Hig or dope dealer, you know, dope smuggler or ISIS. Or all, and, uh, or all of them, right? It, yeah, and so they're all, uh, you know, th- that's already been done, and there will be double crossings. There will be murders and castrations, hangings and stuff like that. But uh, if it, if the past is any uh, prologue to it, that's what you what has happened. That's what happened in the '90s, and um, that war lasted about nine years with the Russians. Probably about four years before that, a strife, and then. Uh, there was awful. I mean, the 90s were awful for Afghanistan, even in a place where awful is the norm. It was uh, it was horrific, um, particularly the fight for Kabul in the, in the late 90s before. And that's what allowed the Taliban to come in and just walk in. So we were there for 20 years. And uh, it's almost uh, I think that, uh, you know, the um, it's normalized that. Uh, the drug trade is is what it is there and everything and uh, it's just a mess. Okay. You know, so the, so the so when you talk about it. the deal that's been made, it's it's essentially between military people and their uh, their Taliban counterpart. Yeah, there is a guy in charge, a young guy, late thirties, who was assassinated a couple of years ago, but he was a resident, huh? Razik. Yeah, Razik, and he. Uh, he was dominant. Now, his ostensible title was he was a border force commander. You know, he was a border police commander. But uh, in reality, he just murdered his way to get there. And uh, he was a huge drug importer. He was effective against certain, you know, uh, portions of the Taliban. He was very charismatic and he got whacked. So and he was I also financed by the in, CIA. Say again. He was a CIA asset. I mean, that, that, he got powerful because there were special forces teams attached right. to him. No, he was very effective. I said at the time when he was assassinated that they can't replace him. This was a tragedy that goes far beyond uh, just the loss of one guy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Raznick right. was was – you lost a whole – you lost all Kandahar when you lost him. All right. right. Timmy, your thoughts on the speed of this collapse, and th- does that surprise you? I, I have said all along that the Taliban's not strong enough to, to, to take the Afghan army, and the Afghan army is not strong enough to take the Taliban. I'm revising my position. I'm, I'm looking right now at the FDD's Long War Journal, uh, uh, published by a guy named Bill Rogio, who I actually uh, uh, took on a visit to Afghanistan. I know him back in 2007, I think. At any rate, with those 30 districts, you've now got the government-controlled area to around Kabul and a narrow corridor that goes up and out on Balkh province near Mazar Sharif and the Panjshir Valley. Outside of that, 
you've got very few areas of government controls. Now, Jeff just mentioned Haig, and Heckmatier came in from the cold and, and reconciled with the government. But his militia is still his militia, and they, they control around Jalalabad, and they're battling ISIS. And so it's in, in the past, the only military stuff we've been doing is helping them against ISIS. It's, it's the strangest goddamn thing in the world. We've been actually helping the Taliban with our drones and stuff. But I, I do believe the Taliban can, if they want, overwhelm the country rapidly. And I didn't, I've never thought that before. But I'm looking at this now and I'm thinking to myself, there's no fight left in those boys for exactly what Jeff just said. They've got investments to tend, to tend and families down in Dubai. I'll bet, you know, at the senior level. Well, And that's what they're going to be thinking about. Okay, so, and the soldiers know this, yay? Well, right? they, they've I mean, already th- this is the we're... system that they that they live in. And do you see the Afghan army willing to die knowing that their superiors have already lined their pockets and are already have cut a deal and the only thing left is either, you know, join the Taliban or leave the country? They've yeah. already done that though. Right. They're yeah. already not fighting the Taliban in every place that matters. When um, you said so, right. Yeah. They've, they've already said, reached agreement. The soldiers even the, know even this. The troops. The, because we advised them for so long, there's an army of uh, of Taji men, of interpreters. So the interpreters are privy to conversations with brigade commanders, with uh, with corps commanders. You know, besides, and but they're just kids. You know, they're, and when they're not Taji men, and when they're not translating, they're rubbing elbows with the uh, with the Askars. So they're getting. Uh, they're getting intel now, you know, unofficial intel, third shitter from the left stuff that they never got before. You know, um, they never got with the Soviet war. They never got with, uh, you know, in, in the in between because we talk and we, and we talk, frankly, to them. I did. You know, I really relied heavily on those guys and they would go and uh, and talk to, you know, the, the private soldiers and stuff, too. And uh, so they know everything. And they, and they always think the worst because. You should. We always think the worst because we're Marines. They always think the worst because they're in the crappiest place on earth, and you know that's the way it is. You know. So no surprise at how fast this is going. Um, I'm surprised. You are surprised. I'm surprised. Yeah, I didn't think it would happen this quickly. It's it's uh, it's alarming as hell. All right. Um, Will alarming, surprising to you? So you said it's collapsing faster than people anticipated. Whoever did not anticipate rapid collapse is an idiot. Okay? <laughs> We're now talking yeah. about the senior military well, lead, leader two, in Afghanistan because that's his quote. Item two, we should, we should review the last 10 minutes of this radio show, and then we should ask the question, who gives a shit? You guys can rattle off place names and people that no one on earth cares about because it's one of the least strategic places on earth. The only thing that made it strategic is Bin Laden set up the camps. We solved that problem pretty quickly, a couple of months. And here we are. Where is a least strategic place on earth in Afghanistan? Yeah. I mean, the South Pole, maybe? I don't even know. You can't name a place in Africa that's you less. You might go win that one. Yeah. That's <laughs> less strategic than the whole war. <laughs> every other place on earth has got something that's usable and valuable somewhere. 
Now, this place borders on a bunch of strategic places, but who cares? It's bizarre. And, and again, roll the tape. Tim said it or Jeff said it. You've been there 20 years. How can we be so stupid? How okay, we're not, so we're stupid? not talking about that stupidity right now. We're just talking about the, <laughs> the, the rate of collapse. No, yeah. the rate of collapse. Um, and, 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 and so there's a very thin crust. And once that crust starts to collapse, the whole thing is going to disappear in a moment. Uh, I think that, that the idea that you couldn't, and you couldn't think, you know, that this was going to collapse if the great international coalition or the great Washington consensus, which has been correct about almost nothing in our Mm -hmm. lifetimes and people listen to that, it's bizarro. Um, Yeah. You know, this is, we'll set it, man. We should we we succeeded in 2001 2002 and then we state oh that's not good enough we got to stay here till we really fuck things up and you know okay okay we're not we're not going to yeah, beat that fucking mule dead again I, but again the collapse and you know what was what's interesting is um my first experience in Iraq in 2004 i had a pretty good seat for that right um so i i get to sit in these meetings and um and it was really interesting. Then I come to find out, as you, you know, I we had friends that, that were, Paul Kennedy was the battalion commander right across the river. He owned Ramadi. And so, you know, we'd be talking and you, you learn how the system works, right? So the new the new police chief in Ramadi, okay, let me give you Mensa's. Let's see if you can earn your, your title. Um, so we appoint Abdullah Abdullah Kenny to become the new police chief of Ramadi. Who is his first phone call to? Jeff? Oh, his first phone call, let's see, to uh, probably to, uh, um, was it, he was still alive. Uh, you know that prick, uh, Zarqawi. <laughs> okay. No, he's Tim? Zarqawi. Tim? Yeah, the sheik there, yeah. The uh, sheik, whoever his sheik is. All right, well. The last police chief. All right, okay, so you can see the pattern (laughs) in all of this. He's not going to go out there and give a a speech about truth, justice, and the Iraqi way, okay? He's going to call, and he's going to call the sheikh, right, Zarqawi, whoever, right, the guy running the show is, and they're going to say, hey, look, I, I need to talk to the other guy. Look, I know you got to do what you got to do, but the Americans are paying me. I'm making money, so let's make a deal. You tell me what you're doing, kind of, sort of. I'll keep my guys away. You know, we'll, we can all learn to coexist and profit off this, right? Right. Because it's a profit. Remember the governor of Anbar when you were there, that big fat guy? Yeah, he got kidnapped one day. Yeah, I mean, they must have kidnapped him. They must have had a backhoe to haul him out of the uh, – because he was uh, – <laughs> He's large. I, I met that guy a couple times. Yeah, he was. A, he's another player, but he, you're right. He's you know. The well, no, I mean, it's so you're. It's such a foreign. I mean, it's not the, certainly in the way Americans. It's certainly we don't think like that, right? You know, we're going to go there. And we're going to do the right thing. We're going to fight. And also, this is a bit. And when you understand, and Jeff is and, and Tim have both said this relative to Afghanistan. 
when you understand that this is a commercial enterprise, okay, and the Americans are just a laying pay, the latest paying customer, the collapse makes all the sense of the world. As Jeff said, the deals are cut. The only deal that hasn't been cut are guys who are arguing about what percentage they want. And maybe yeah. they, they'll go to war and maybe they'll burn it down and they'll decide that with by shooting each other and murder. Exactly. Yeah, Timmy brought up an interesting thing about Hekmatyar, right? Hekmatyar, I think, finally cracked the code. He said, why the fuck would I want to be running one of these big cities when I can just get taxed? I can I can tax these people and to let them drive around my area. And I'm not going to administer this thing. I'll let the governments keep that headache with the keeping the water on, the power and shit like that. Because when they did take over cities, when the Taliban did, it was horrible. I mean, even the – that's really what – That's what pissed know, the people the, off, right? That, that yeah, They said, hey, the yeah. guys can't do it – they can't do anything right. Right. Other, why would you – I mean, why would you want to grab control. the country, I mean, the cities and inherit all that shit? What's the – they don't. They can't get squeeze any more corrupt money out of it, you know. So well, that would that it? would make that would make um, sense in terms of, as you said, the um, the Taliban would control it. They would leave the administration to somebody else, and there's you know they control the opium yeah. enterprise, right? Yeah. Allow them to administer the cities and that would be the power sharing arrangement. And again, for all we know, that deal's already cut. Yeah. No, Mac, I, I talked about this a couple of years ago. Down in the Hellman, all the line, all the all the line ministries from Kabul, their lines of communication into the districts remain. The Kabul still pays for the schools, the livestock, veterinarians, and that kind of stuff. The Taliban just controls it. So that that model has been in effect for years Yeah, where they do not interfere with the line ministries as long as the line ministries don't interfere with them, which means that any fighting you see are over deals gone bad, not over the principle of this is my country and I'm defending it. No, that's not how it's working anymore. If you're fighting, it's because somebody fucked up. And that's, that's just It's kind of like a chamber of commerce disagreement. Yeah. And rather than when, go to when, an arbiter. When Roger, when Roger Turner was in charge of the task force there in 2017-18, he retook Marja. He retook because he had the, they, the way the deal worked was the people who had that, uh, who owned those areas, ostensibly Taliban, were going to be moved out by the drug dealers who work for the government. So the ANA would do the plan to attack. It was executed usually by either ANP hold on, hold on, hold police on, hold on. or yeah. or ANA, police. Hold on, ANA is Afghan National Army. Afghan National Army, and they had the planners and shit, and they did it just the way we taught them, either McPP or MCMD, you know, P that shit, and the and it would be good, and they would go in, and these, but the but the government police people would would actually attack physically, and when they did. The Taliban would concentrate. When they concentrated, Roger Turner would bomb the fucking shit out of them. And we he took almost all of uh, the eastern part of Helmand. They, they wanted to make what they call a cummerbund around uh, – around, uh, uh, um, Lashkar Gah. Yeah, you know, Lashkar guy, you know. And, uh, and he was – well, you know, we know he's a great guy anyway. Yeah, but, it, you know, time. that was how it went. And Lashkar Gah is the provincial capital. For is the capital, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it shows, though, you know what we're good at? Identifying a uniformed military in the field 
and their capital and destroying that. We're actually pretty good at that. Did that in the Civil War, did that in World War II. We were on the way to doing it in World War I. Uh, what we're not good at is this. We lose interest in it. We're not criminally mindful. We don't get taught that in any military schools. And like it or not, when you're dealing in counterinsurgency, you got to be a mafioso. We're just not very good at it. And uh, how many more times we're going to go through this? It's hard to say. Um, uh, but, you know, our leaders in Washington uh, have not showed a lot of common sense uh, in attacking many problems at all over time. Yeah, and so we get bogged down in this ridiculousness. Um, and, and uh, you know, I got no skin in Afghanistan personally, so maybe that sort of taints how I look at it. Um, but I say, I, I, I just remember when, you know, 3-5 and Sangin, and I'm thinking, what in the hell are those guys doing? Yeah, they got. What are they yeah, doing? Oh, and then oh, particularly, did, I think they were headed up. There was a dam, or there was some shit up there. Oh, the dam's blah, 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 Jackie. Blah. So yeah, they were going Jack. up there, and then, and then we gave the thing back, and I'm like, this thing rhymes. Did the, hey, something I have a question? Oh, oh, I have a current. Did was there any power that ever came out of the Kajaki Dam? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was uh, yes. half, about half capacity. Who's that engineer guy that the, he's still there? He's been there for like thirty years. Yeah, he's been there for a long. No one time. ever kills him. Engineer. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but here's the thing. You know, you just you just mentioned uh, a Sangina Musaquala. When I first went into the helmet in 2005, it was completely peaceful. All their checkpoints were manned by guys that looked to me to be Taliban. They didn't have a uniform or whatnot. But the governor Atkanzada yeah. had complete Atkanzada. control. Yeah, complete control of the whole of the whole. Uh, province but unfortunately the brits decided they wanted to take over the province and akonzada was a major trafficker a matter of fact the dea found like two tons of opium in his in his governor's mansion and he goes yeah i was going to turn it into you guys what the hell what, what, what's the problem here right so they get rid of him and he goes back to sanguine and musaquala and all his four thousand soldiers instantly become taliban those are the guys you were fighting What's the last name of the leader of the Taliban now in Afghanistan? Akunzada, same yeah. friggin' family. He owned the helm, and, and if you just left him in place because you were a like a criminal, like like yeah. a mafioso, like Will said, well, the, yeah, you would never have been there. Remember the police chief. Remember the a police chief in in, in Moose, Timmy Musakala. Right. He caught Akunzada. One of the Akunzadas was laying IEDs out there. He caught the guy, and he had he had a they had a citywide assembly he painted the guy's face with black dye mm -hmm. and the guy had to go to pakistan for like eight years <laughs> to get until the shit now he's a senator or he was when i was there in 2017 that akonzada is a senator a part of the afghan government yeah it's yeah, incredibly so weird yeah, all right so, so here's the next here's the, so here's the next question family. here's the same next question in the government and, and controlling the taliban that's afghanistan that's an Afghan family there. All right. So do you expect the rate of collapse to increase and this thing to collapse quicker than anybody expects? Because uh, I think it was the, the report early this week or late last week uh, was that 
unnamed sources say they believe that the the that Afghanistan will collapse in as little as three months. Do you think it'll take that long? I don't know if they'll bother to collapse it. I mean, I, you know, what I'm saying, I just uh, what's the point? I, I'm I'm with Jeff. What happens if it collapses? The money spigot gets turned off. Right now, we've got a money spigot turned on. I I don't I see them kind of easing up and making accommodations, um, and then warring amongst themselves. They're pretty good at that. Always find a reason to go. It's like Will says too. Who cares? You know, it's like I care because. Well, this is just out of curiosity because it's a current event, and we're going to see it play out on the right in the news. Yeah. Right. And and then and then no, we're not. What do you mean? No, we're not. Once the U.S. is out of there, it ain't going to be in the news. Oh, I bet you it is. Terrorist. I bet you it is. I bet you it is because William. I hate to school you on this. I know you live in like, you know, Hickstown, but when (laughs) all and all these women. Lose their rights? Who cares? The world cares. Oh yeah, no, well, they don't have any rights. The not. world cares. They don't have any. They don't have any you're rights. Gonna, hey, you're going to see succeed there because we care about stuff we care about. The Afghans could give a sh- no, 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 no. I'm not talking. I'm talking about you. why we will see it. We will see the collapse of 20 years worth of American investment or whatever, and then the world will see the Taliban roll this thing back as they will. And then you will see that, Will. Yeah, but what what part of the press is going to make the Biden administration look bad? No, 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 no. Just like defunding the police was a Republican idea, right? (laughs) This will be a Republican-sponsored event from the Bush administration to the Trump administration, and then you will own it. So there you go. But I don't think anyone's going to own it until here's my prediction well into the future. If there's ever another Republican administration and if some horrific international terrorist incident can somehow be traced back to Afghanistan, right? Right. So let's say it's 2031 and a nuclear bomb goes off in Paris that they trace back to Afghanistan. Then everyone's going to say, oh, why did we ever get out of Afghanistan? But until then, there's a lot more. Listen. There's Olympic athletes that are turning their back on the flag. Um, okay, so, the, so when, this, imminent- when this gets in the news, you're going to come back and apologize to, to me, to every all of our, I will all of our listeners. When Jeff, you Tim. finally apologize for making the prediction that Joe Biden will never be president of the United States. Did I say and that? That's oh, you absolutely. Did. I know I said it. And it's well, I mean, uh, well. video. is he is he even the president? Now? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> hey, but, but who can who can envision a worldwide plague? All right. Who can envision that? That's like biblical in nature. You would read it in the Bible in the Old Testament and go, this could never happen. Right. The economy's going gangbusters, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, right, a famine, right, grasshoppers and leeches all descend on the on the world. Come on. You got to do better than that. I know. You got to do better than that. So we got we got one thing about Afghanistan to be concerned about. That is, they've closed Bagram, closed it entirely. So now they've yeah. got that little half of an airfield that's tucked into Kabul, Kabul International Airport yeah, that's fun. down there on the on the, the eastern side. So it's surrounded by the Pashtun communities, unfortunately. From that airhead, they're hold flying on, people on. back and explain, forth. To, to the explain the word, unfortunately. Oh, 
Well, you know, you've got Kabul. Kabul's got a multi-ethnic ethnic, uh, city. Like most third world multi-ethnic cities, the ethnics tend to be in their own, own part of the city, not right. intermingled. Right. And the part of the city where the airport is, is the Pashtun part of the city. The Pashtuns being generally the, the, the folks uh, uh, most mostly participated in the, in the Taliban. Although up north now you've got Tajiks and Uzbeks and everybody's yeah. joining now. That's what I mean when I say. Because everybody wants to be on the winning side. Yeah. Unfortunately. They just want to be there for the parade. That's exactly right. But now you've got a helicopter ride. So they're going for the mile mile it takes to get from the embassy to the airport. They're doing it by contractor helicopters. Yeah. Good luck on that. Yeah, Good luck on How that. How safe is that? They are now, my friend, officially guests. And that means when the guests do something the Afghan people don't like, they're going to be non-guests. And that's going to be ugly as shit. Think of Herat and what they did to the Soviets. That was pretty yeah. brutal. That's medieval level level right in there. They tore, I mean, there was a lot of Soviets they tore up too, and their families. Everybody yeah. sooner or later in Afghanistan realized that the juice ain't worth the squeeze. But Alexander, Genghis Khan, the Brits, the Persians, they're like, fuck this. So how long are we going to... Empire. It's just that... It makes the empires go. What the hell are we doing here? How long are There's we going to? How long are we going to play charades with our embassy? Oh, that embassy is uh, huge. Embassy's got to. Embassy's got to stay there. It's where the money pipeline goes through. Right. You yeah, got the embassy. You've got the UN compound. I don't know how many other embassies are left. Yeah, but once, uh, once once the troops are out of there. How big does the embassy need to be? Yeah, you're right. And, and, and the embassy's right next to the main road going through the damn town. I mean, it's a lot of civilian traffic. Again, it goes right, outside how, big, how big does it need? What is our diplomatic interest there? You're right. Yeah. Now, I think it's going to be manned by 12 Trump appointees. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. No, it is a huge compound, though. That, then you've got a problem. How you, what are you going to do with all that empty space? That's not secure. Walk either. away. It's... Like the basic school, learning the defense. You know, FPL, <laughs> fucking tactical wire and all that shit. So, cost, how long do – so, how play. long – if we can't – okay, so now we're doing an OPT. And, uh, Jeff, you be General Milley. Um, will you, oh, great. You, you, <laughs> Even I got to gain weight in order to do that. <laughs> 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 Will, you could be the commandant, and Tim, you'll be the CNO. Okay. Who am I leaving out? There's somebody. Oh, there's an Air Force guy. I'll be the Air Force guy because I go to talk to him all the time. Um, all right, boys. We're in here to talk about the Operation Frequent Wind TAC-2, <laughs> TAC um, the evacuation of uh, Kabul. Uh, what do you got? What <laughs> what do you got for me, boys? Well, I think we got to keep we got to nurture our relationship with Kyrgyzstan and use that as a jump off point because there's no South China Sea there like there was for the original frequent wind for us to hang out in. So you know that's uh, Kyrgyzstan's where Manus is. That was an, a regular, you know, um, Manas. Yeah, a regular place to you know. To deploy from and to getting in and out of Afghanistan. I saw. So, I, mean, um, I don't know what our how we're doing with the. I don't think the Iranians would help us very much. Probably the Chinese really wouldn't. Um, so I think it would be one of the uh, former Soviet republics to the north that uh, 
you know, especially okay. Biden. Right. He's like, right. so we'll stay. So we'll, we'll got, you know, connections with all those guys. We'll stage their general expertise there. And stuff. We'll stage their general Milley. Then what? Then what do we do? Yeah, we're going to. We don't gonna, have Bagram um, anymore. Where do we fly into? Kabul International? Well, we have to make sure that the. M- yeah, absolutely. If uh, we're going to do it, you're talking about executing a NEO. Well, I'm. That so means you own if we're going to play this charade, I mean, it, it's. I mean, why. Again, why are we playing charades once, you know, once we have the best. Can, can I be the Secretary of State? No, because you'll be a shitty one. I know. I know. No, no, he was a singer. What he's you, have sing, you have to sing. You have to sing. Yeah, he's a rock and roll star. The Secretary of State is going to say we should stay there longer than we should. Everyone knows we shouldn't be there, so let's just stay longer, and then we, we can regret how bad it went in the end. I mean, what are we doing? If you really want to get them out, then we just have to pay to get them out. Yeah. Right. Because again, the the, the finding is just cosmetic kind of nonsense as we settle things on the margin. Um, You know, the business is the business. And if we want, if we really want them out, if we're really going to keep them there and we really want them out, then we really just have to pay the money and we'll get them out. I don't know, man. The Afghans can riot like nobody you've ever seen. That shit's scary. It it happens. Well, we'll we'll just have to pay more then. And then, and let me tell you. When they cool one of those riots out, they'll cool with enough money in somebody's pocket. They'll cool that shit the fuck out. Normally, they do it with ball ammunition. Exactly. We're not going to talk about anything you might see in Times Square or anywhere in any place that you might you wouldn't get no, it they, confused. They, in, in in 2006 in Kabul, some goddamn army convoy was coming out of the north, coming out of that hill lost their brakes, caused an auto accident with multiple fatalities. And right. then as the Afghans start gathering around in a crowd, which is what they do, you know, by the thousands, they get freaked out and start hammering away at the crowd with a 50 cal. And it's live on Tolo television. And I'm like, oh, I was watching this stuff because we had to get our Japanese clients to safety. Boy, that riot, that, that riot was out of control, bro. That's the, and that, that shit's scary, man, because it's very hard to get them back under control. So there's no reason for us to be there once we lose Bagram. And I, I, for the life of me, like, I, what do you do? You don't, I mean. Dude, that little, that little base on the other side of Kabul International, that, that, it can't hold more than a few hundred folk. No. Yeah. They got that, that um, headquarters, the uh, Resolute Support Headquarters, which borders the embassy compound, is like the Warsaw Ghetto. It is like uh, densely popular, or at least it used to be. Densely populated with multinational headquarters people. Yeah, That's they're, the but they're, but they're all stuff. gone now. And there's no yeah, like, yeah they got a teeny little air little LZ in there. It's a one forty sevens worth of an LZ, you know. Yeah, that's uh, and right. that's what the embassy uses. Yeah, well, that's I, that's the embassy LZ. I want to talk about. Uh, uh, I, I emailed a uh, an article about uh, that uh, a woman who is a. Uh, She's former instructor at like the Chinese Communist Party's School of Theology. Um, she's a longtime, you know, instructor there. Her name is Kai Jia. G is X I, so Jia, Kai Jia. Anyway, she's written a piece uh, that the Hoover Institute is going to 
published today. And uh, kind of a little teaser uh, written about in the Wall Street Journal. Um, uh, you guys have all read it. Uh, Will, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I think her point is is that our soft diplomatic power uh, has no influence in China. Um, and... You know, she's a, obviously a very educated, highly thought of person, and it only took her, what, 30 years to come around to that idea. I mean, no shit. Um, you know, we, we, we have abandoned uh, the middle of the country. We hollowed it out under this idea that if China gets richer, then they're going to get more like us. And it's a ridiculous idea. Um, and it's cost us dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't necessarily see it on the coast, um, but you get out of you get out of the the Washington D.C., New York City, uh, California coast, et cetera, and into the middle of the country, and it's done unbelievable damage uh, to the country. Um, and it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. Uh, but it's still the Washington consensus, you know, uh, and you would say, well, the Trump administration didn't believe that. No, I disagree. The president didn't believe that. Yeah. But the Trump administration, which is still career bureaucrats and a whole lot of political appointees that, you know, what's Trumpism? Don't know. So he couldn't hire a bunch of people like him. Uh, they still believe it. And uh, not saying that you should completely disengage, uh, but it, it, if we think that we're going to win them over with soft power, um, you know, it's a crazy, stupid yep. idea that I'm I'm trying to think of the precedent. Yeah, it working. I mean, that's not what we did in the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let, let, let me read. Let me period. That didn't work. Let me read something that's in the article. Ms. Kai's by Ms. Kai's reckoning, U.S. Poly, policymakers have miscalculated at every turn <laughs> from restoring relations after Beijing's 1989 crackdown in Tiananmen Square to backing China's entry into the World Trade Organizations. Absolutely. Nyavet, right? that has emboldened the regime. While U.S. administrations have described China as a competitor, the Communist Party has always viewed the U.S. as a hostile adversary, she argues. So it's very funny, this woman, you know, such a high-ranking official in the Chinese Communist Party, she essentially, right, is outing a strategy which is hiding in plain sight Except yeah. because, but the United States won't recognize it. The Western allies won't recognize it because they want to make money in China, right? Yeah, we, they, we've just it's ignored it. To affect policy by bribing a few people, then China well, I mean, think about it. Target country. and Walmart have been the primary right purveyors yeah. of American jobs to China, right? Yeah. Those great American companies that we all look for that we shop at have transferred American industry to China and they facilitated the whole thing. What she does, it's funny in, in that piece is she, um, she says she just outs it and says, yeah, th- 
this is what they know, and this is how you've been weak and, and are continuing to be weak. Um, so just kind of illustrating Will's point. It doesn't work, yet we somehow, I don't know if we're placating Wall Street. I don't know who we're placating by, okay. by this, this charade of, of, oh, yeah, the emperor's playing the emperor's new clothes with China. It isn't what it is. Yeah, look, we, we, you know, we went through the, the world's most horrific war, World War II, and the generation of leaders that came out of that didn't want to see that happen, that great power. Uh, I think that the idea of, you know, Nixon to China was a strategic idea. Uh, but then when President Bush, the elder, was there, Tiananmen should have been, you know, the emperor's clothes got ripped off at Tiananmen. Right. These people are not moderating. They haven't changed. They're the sons and the grandsons of one of the most murderous people in the history of yes. the world now, or the modern world. I don't know the history of yeah. the world. The modern world. And then that should have been that. And everything after that was all about uh, short-term dollars. Because, you know, in the 90s, who could have anticipated that in 2021, we'd be $25 trillion in debt, $6 trillion of that to China, uh, that the manufacturing base in the United States uh, would have been, I don't know, 40%. I don't even know what the number is. A huge decline from yeah. where it was uh, that all of our intellectual property, uh, just consider it stolen, um, you know, all that stuff in the 90s. Um, yeah, they're bad people, but look at that market. It's a billion people. Yeah. Up until President Trump, That's your it. basic Republican uh, presidential candidate or president always, always looked for compromise with either threatening nations in the world like China and the Soviet Union and also with the Democratic Party when they would compromise when they didn't have to. That's the story of George H.W. Bush. And consequently, he lost the election because of that, because, you know, he thought that, uh, well, you know, I'll just uh, I'll go ahead and I will raise taxes, even though I promised not to. And um, he, he paid for it, you know, and they never learn until Trump comes along and says, hey, look, the first I mean, it's basic. We he was pushing to operate within our self-interest. They don't. They think that. They mirror image the Chinese. They think if we treat them the way we like to be treated, that we'll get results from that. And you don't. You lose. You know, there's something else going on, too. And that's well, hold on, hold on. I want to talk about her article, though. Okay? Not yeah. a kind of general discussion about yeah, China. But I want to yeah. – what's interesting is that such a high-ranking official, she evidently gets marooned here while, while vacationing okay. in the United States and COVID starts. And and now she's uh, – her paper released today. We'll be able to read the whole thing. But um, but again right, – go ahead, Timmy. I just want to make – I just want to crop no, the conversation. No, no, her, her article in which she accuses us of naivete and, uh, and consistently working against our own self-interest – it sounds like um, I, I'm reading it. I'm like, wow, that's that's Grant Newsom. It sounds like she listens to the podcast a little bit. Of course, I'm joking. Somebody at, at her level, that is rather remarkable. 
But the the other thing I wanted to bring up was this was this senior Chinese defector from the intelligence services who will only who went to the DIA and will only cooperate with the DIA will not deal with the FBI or the CIA. I find that kind of disconcerting. And that guy apparently came over with a lot of information too, which is which is telling us what we already know about how much how deeply we've been penetrated. And how th- is this the guy that, that supposedly also gave them the the intel um, about uh, the Wuhan virus and why is the same guy? Because there's an, it's uh, same guy gave the gave the Wuhan stuff, the names of citizens that provided intel to China, the names of spies working in the U.S. and attending U.S. universities. He apparently has a lot of information. And it's just weird how that's being processed, because you can see there's 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 tension between the agencies, and I wonder why. Mac, you know, th- think of what's happened to us in the last 30 years. You just said that a senior Communist Party official was vacationing in the U.S. 30 years ago, or 40 or 50, we would have said a senior Chinese Communist official was spying in the U.S. Now they're just vacationing. That's how screwed up we've become. They're yeah. good people. If we just treat them nice, no, they hate us. <laughs> they want to screw us. They want to enslave us. They want to be number one. They want us to be number two, 10, 50, or whatever. And it's poisoned us. You know, think of, you know, Jeff in the, in the 70s. What did people think? Military people think about China. Enemy. They were, they were the people that tortured uh, POWs in Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, now, and I get it, you got to be able to break bread with the enemy at some point, but you can never. No, what, what, to me, what to me she is is she's the cherry on top, right? When you have somebody this high, right, <laughs> and this is like okay, the curtain is done. I mean, it's uh, it, when this person. Let me let me read you something else that I find interesting, and then we'll talk about what you're reading. According to Ms. Kai, China is powerful in appearance, but riven with contradictions and self-doubt that have been more pronounced under Mr. Xi. The Chinese Communist Party has the ambition of a hungry dragon, but inside it is a paper tiger, she writes. She also wrote that Washington should be, quote, prepared for the possible sudden disintegration of the party, while she alleged deep divisions among its 92 million members she didn't offer recent evidence of a split with mr g aside from writing that many party members and elites in society accept and approve of the american democratic system and freedom as universal values i thought that was the other very very interesting piece of this little kind of synopsis of what she wrote in terms of saying that um and and then there's another little part that says that China is facing a crisis of, of of generations. That the younger Chinese do not subscribe. Wait, wait, here it is. A generational shift is underway in China, with traditional values giving way to more liberal attitudes, and it does not favor the long-term prospects of the Chinese Communist Party. So I, I thought that I, I thought that was the other interesting part of. Uh, of uh, of the article, how, how many more it, million men do they have than women in China? 
that's another issue. That's another damn problem, I would think. Yeah, the, you think about things like this, you know, a gangster regime, uh, a mafia crime family, uh, Hitler, very strong, but brittle. You know, they're brittle. But, but to but, democracy like us, often very, very weak, but have depth. So the Chinese problem is, are they going to get old before they get rich and break? And our problem is, are we going to have faith in the way we do things, or are we going to change? Democracy's slow to get going, but once they get going, the true diversity, not the capital D where we slice people up by yeah. race, creed, color, but the true diversity comes out. Uh, but we're destroying our true diversity in the goal of having the capital D where everyone identifies by race, creed, color, blah, 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 blah. And so that's the race. And that's actually, that's like a false, uh, the, the, I don't even think they're after diversity. I think it's just a way to weaken Western civilization. Absolutely. But, but, yeah, but, but were you surprised? Let me take it back to the article, though. We're, and that's what I want to talk about. Were you, were you surprised of how brittle that she asserts? And, and she said the United States needs to be, prepare for a rapid demise of China. Does that, did that did that surprise you? She's right, but I mean, just I don't know enough about it to evaluate it. You know, Mac. Right. I think a rapid demise is hard, but I mean, you you think about the Chinese now. So, so every kid there from the age of five to thirty-five or forty is an only child, right? Right. And uh, every parent. On the, of the age of 22 to 70 has only got one kid. And so they realize they have a huge demographic problem. So they've opened up all the controls, but now the population is fuck. We're used to paying for one kid and we live in a, in a tiny little apartment. How the hell are we going to pay for two? So their demographics are not going to change rapidly. And right. the second thing is we've invested everything in our family into this one kid. Uh, and is, and that kid needs to be successful. Well, success can be defined a bunch of different ways, but you know what? <clears throat> the top 10% is still only 10% and everyone else is not going to be in that top 10%. So people are going to feel unsatisfied with what they were promised. So I think that there is probably great unrest to come. But would it be a rapid collapse of the party? That's hard to say. I mean, I, I think there will be a generational, you know, over the course of 20 odd years, if we don't give it away, they have huge problems. The thing is, we're giving it away as fast as we can possibly give it away. So, right. Timmy, that's the race. I, I still can't get over the imbalance between males and females in China. They went to that one-child policy, that, which which uh, prompted infanticide of females. I think it's 65, 30-something, I, 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 you know, 65, 35. I, I don't know what it is. But they've got millions and millions more dudes than there are girls to marry them. And that's got, that's got to be a problem. Because what, what, that's, that's just one of those things that we're talking birds and the bees level of. Uh, of motivations. They've got way too many extra guys. And there's, I can think of one way to get rid of them quick. Actually, we couldn't do it now because we don't have any tanks or artillery. But anyway, 
Yeah, now you can't, you can't, we can't help him out of that bind, but I, I just can't get past that. I don't know that uh, uh, somebody that senior coming over here being stuck in COVID and having his transformation, I don't know how much credence to give her, quite frankly. Uh, this is China's sex ratio at statisticstime.com. The percentage of the female population is 48.7% compared to 51.29%. Oh, that's, I got that. That's much better. China has 37 million more males than females. Oh, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, I would, I would, what you need though is the key demographic, which is like 18 to, to what, 28, 18 to 38. Yeah. I right, don't care how many old people they got. What are you reading? I am. Uh, I just started that Rick Atkinson trilogy about the Army in World War II. No, that's great. Yeah, I'm reading an Army at Dawn. And uh, first, the guy is just a phenomenal writer. I, I read his first book about the Revolutionary War. That's why I went back to these, because I had just never read them before. And uh, so I'm in uh, the North Africa campaign as they're stalled before uh, Tunisia. And uh, it's really hard to imagine how bad we were at that point um, and and where we came from, from there and, and to becoming, you know, the world champions. But uh, really good book. I, I This guy I, I have found, he's, he's, he's like the army version of, uh, you know, Toll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Will, when you finish that trilogy, you'll wish that the war lasted longer. That's how. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish it went into nineteen forty-six. The army at dusk, and and I'm I'm glad you already read it, Jeff. And I was going to disappoint you and say it. I got it, I got it on Kindle, so you can't steal it. <laughs> that's right. That's where I thought. That's where I thought that was going. By the way, Tim, what do you what are you reading? Well, uh, based on that uh, foreign affairs article you sent out this morning, I've already got um, uh, the. Uh, we see what the heck is it here? The Chronicle of the de- of a fit of a defeat foretold by Carter Malkinson, and uh, I've read his other book about uh, that he wrote when he's in the Hellman. And so I I can't tell you how good it is, except for I noticed that he's he's coined a term that. Uh, that he uses to describe the Afghan people, ATRAF, A-T-R-A-F. And I'm like, I've never heard that term before, and I'm pretty good about Afghan stuff. So I Googled it, and ATRAF, in Google, it's all associated with a gay Facebook page and gay stuff. It's hysterical. I, 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 I don't know where the hell he got that word from, but that's the one thing I've discovered it's so bachi, far from the book. It's a Bachabazi boy thing. Oh, dude, I would hope not. I, he, yeah, but I don't know where he got that word. But I'm starting to read the book. I don't know if it will be a comprehensive history or not, but he's got the background given his access as a USAID guy and then uh, as an aide for General Dumford. He spent a lot Carter of time. Carter Malca- Malkazian, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that how you say it? Malkazian? I think that's how, yeah. you, that's how I heard it. Yeah. And again, he was in, in and around Hellman when we were there. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. on, yeah, on he, he was at Garmsmere. I, I, I think I met him. I'm not sure. He was sure. too and during Iraq. Yeah. And he was one of the few people that people respected his opinion and, and listened to him. Mm-hmm. Interesting guy. Jeff, what are you reading? Nothing. I'm just doing this move. 
I'm going to start. <laughs> I'm taking a vacation starting um, this week. First vacation I've had since I retired where I'm taking the whole next week off, the 4th of July week. Wow. And I'm going to sit in my house in Vegas and go swimming and not do shit. And I will not obey any directives from my significant the, other. I the, will the, the, the ruling party? I bet you do. I won't. You won't. You say that. But <laughs> that's bold talk from a one-eyed I fat man right there. The Gadsden flag over my fucking <laughs> my half of the bed. You just you just gotta hang out outside where it's hot. They, yeah. they won't. She won't they, come out there. Bobby. We will not play the Emperor's New Clothes with you. You'll do whatever she says, and you'll <laughs> like it. And that's just the way it is. But here, here I'm, where you you I are will, a, I will read a book next week. A bold talking one eyed fat man. Books. We uh, <laughs> you could be whatever you want. <laughs> All right, I, I continue to listen to the body keeps the score, and uh, and I'm enjoying it. Boys, first of all, thank you very much. Will, good luck in your travels, and yeah, uh, yeah, and Jeff, good luck finishing your move, and uh, and on vacation. I'll talk to you next week. But yeah, hey, fly your flags on the fourth. You bet. That. Yeah, all of them. All right, man. I fly them every day, but fly them on the fourth. I put the big fuckers up. <laughs> I do. Uh, you should see it. I'll, I'll send you guys as, a picture. As you do. Yeah. Just to remind. Bye, just to remind everybody. All right, guys. See you. All right. See ya. Yeah. If you're a Mensa Brother fan, congratulations on getting a snoot full of it. Uh, now, interesting discussion. Uh, starting out with Don Rumsfeld, uh, the Universal Scorn. Um, and that you heard from the interesting that all of that was done individually, right? Um, so, yeah, and then the discussion about Afghanistan's collapse. And, and you know, again, I think one of the things that we've learned from Jeff and Tim is that when you look at this thing, if you don't see it as a economic enterprise, um, then you're not really seeing what's there. So, uh, yeah, it's a business enterprise. And it's interesting that, you know, Jeff's saying the deals are already cut. The deals are already cut. So that's interesting stuff. Um, and then the, the whole discussion about uh, that, that Hoover Institution, uh, Hoover Institute piece, which I have yet to be po- see posted. Um, Wow. There's a whole series of articles about um, about um, Taiwan uh, on the Hoover Institute's <coughs> website. 
the significance of Taiwan, why Taiwan, like West Berlin, uh, during the Cold War should be under the West security umbrella, Taiwan's, Taiwan's relationship with Japan, right? So, um, yeah, interesting. So, again, all interesting topics today. Anyway, have a great day. Uh, the chef will join me tomorrow. We'll talk about the uh, 4th of July grilling. So, yeah, bring your spatula when you show up tomorrow. I'm Mike McNamara, the Salt Marine Radio. Have a great day. If I can help you help somebody else, uh, by all means, let me know. And I'd be happy to. So, on this Thursday, I'm out. Have a great day.